I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Awkward silence. I mean, welcome to the show, gentlemen. <laughs> gentlemen, how are you doing, Mr. Rory Corrigan? <laughs> I'm just ducky yourself. Ducky. So I've, I had a boss in San Diego who would say ducky. What does I'm ducky mean to you? Just super fantastical, you know? Super califragilisticexpialidocious. I'd asked him at some point, why do you say I'm ducky? And he's like, I'm like a duck. Water sheds off my back. Nothing's going to bother me today. So if you ever hear me say I'm ducky, my reference is, is like, I'm not going to let anything bother me. I'm ducky. Water off my back. Let's just cruise and have a good time. I've heard you tell this story before. And, and for some reason, in, in my mind, it was connected to uh, Dennis. No. Have I got two things conflated there? Dennis is sure. So if I ever say sure... Rory, you work side by side with our boy, Dennis Anderson. Ask Dennis to do anything. What was his answer? Sure. And so if you ever hear me say sure, it's A, in respect and homage to Dennis, just to remember my friend in my heart. And then B, it's just, man, the attitude. Sure. Why not? Like, can I help you? Sure. It, It just, his attitude to help everybody was awesome. Right, right behind your head is a clock. And that clock, once upon a time, remember his RV? Mm hmm. That was in his RV. And that is set to the date of his motorcycle accident. So I keep a couple things of Dennis hanging around. I miss the old man. Man, why are we starting so depressing yeah, before the show and the show? Bit depressing. Man, Dennis, <laughs> you're my boy, Blue. Uh, recently, we celebrated his passing. If you ever see my Facebook page with a uh, dude, yeah, you want one? Have it. Um, if you ever see on my Facebook page a picture of a dude taking a dead pig on a tandem, that was Dennis. Was that and that was I was gonna say that was a real live dead pig, which makes no sense. That was a real live dead pig, you little bitch. All right. <laughs> I, I wrestled him myself. So he, as we always knew, it didn't arch for shit. Yeah, oh. he told the story and uh, the goggles were covering a bullet hole. Some group came by and said, we do a, a, a pig roast every year. We want you to fly over our pig roast field, drop the pig out of the plane. This is how we want it delivered. And he's like, this is a horrible idea. Him and his buddies, whatever, drop Jesus, zone. Could you, how much does, it, does that pig weigh? Fuck, dude. It looks like it's a few hundred pounds. I mean, two, that's three. enough to put a serious hole through the top of somebody's house. Right? Yeah. And that pig ain't going to be worth eating after it goes <laughs> all over the fucking place. So they convinced the dude, let it, uh, let, let's take it on a tandem. We'll deliver it under parachute. <laughs> and so you've got a de-arch. How did he say it? Pig don't? That pig didn't arch for shit. <laughs> so tonight we've got our special guest man, Rory Corrigan. Rory is a good friend. I've You started at Spaceland when? Uh, I got there in March of 2009. So weird how so many of my friendships start with, when did you show up to Houston? Yeah. March 09. And uh, you're a full-time tunnel instructor now. Correct. Former full-time skydiving instructor. Yep. And you own Real Rigging Services. This is accurate. So Real Rigging Services, that's kind of some of the things I want to talk about tonight is, A, your journey to become a rigger. Mm -hmm. And B, uh, we keep trying to hit a little bit on buying gear, especially for jumpers who don't understand what they're buying. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because you have hundreds of jumps doesn't mean you necessarily understand your gear. Um, Some do and some don't. And just because you've studied YouTube and listened to podcasts a lot doesn't mean you know what you're talking about either. So we're going to tell you what we don't know ourselves. Um, Rory, when did you start skydiving? 
Uh, I started jumping back in June, July of 2003 or so. Uh, first jump was at Skydive Cross Keys. To, I'm, cross keys. I'm, I'm processing some days. Oh two, oh three. Yeah. Uh, you and I have had a lot of these conversations, mm-hmm. so they're they're going to be a little flashbacky for me. And what got you into the sport? What made you skydive? Uh, my friend John Barry. It was all his fault. Are you serious? No, no, no. <laughs> different John Barry. Oh my god. That's that's why it was weird when I met the other John <laughs> okay. Barry. And I've never ever gotten uh, redheaded John Barry's phone number in my phone because I always wanted to know which John Barry I had. <laughs> Would they both go by John Barry? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, it, I, my mind almost exploded when you said what you said. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so I knew him from years ago from going to uh, concerts and whatnot. And then were, he were these up, concerts the hardest of the hardcore. Uh, that and some industrial, a little bit of both. All right. Yeah, um, but we he was working at Express and. He knew a lot of people there, and he ended up getting me a part-time job there, which anyone who knows me from back in the day knows that me working at Express is the worst idea ever. But uh, Isn't that where my wife shops? That's the one. Okay, just making yeah. sure. Th- that's when I had a ponytail <laughs> and arm tattoos and general miscreant. But uh, he ended up wanting to go jump, and he got a bunch of people from his work and just asked me if I wanted to go with. So 14 of us rolled through Skydive Cross Keys, and we... Uh, I made a jump. I was first out that day, and I landed, and was like, "Yeah, that was that was all right." He landed just wide-eyed, like an anime character, wanting to go again. And uh, I was like, "Well, didn't suck. I I like hanging out with you. I'll <laughs> I'll go do another." So three of us, ultimately, another guy. We all went, did our second tandem. Did our um, at Scott of Crosskeys, they did a three tandem progression. So it was fall out of plane, fall out of planes, do turns. And then the third one was basically a cat C for heading maintenance. So your instructor would intentionally try to take you off of heading. You would correct it to maintain a heading because uh, they also did a solo jump master progression. And that's how they decided to progress to it by forcing you to be able to maintain a heading. Um, did the ground school, did our first jumps. Third guy bailed after that. And John and I just kept jumping. Um, he ended up finishing his student program because I learned to jump in the New Jersey area. I started in June. I got my A license in April and I jumped all through a winter in the Northeast and there's a reason I live in Texas now. Yeah, that was a terrible idea. Yes, yes it was. What's the how how cold does it get? Like what I guess I'm trying to ask what's your what's your coldest jump experience? Tell me about that. Well, the day that he graduated from the student program, we were on a cold hold. We weren't allowed to jump because <laughs> the wings would ice. So I had oh. to go to work, and he ended up jumping and rubbing that in my face. But I took him on a recurrency jump seven years later, so he can suck it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I worked in the Midwest for a while, and we worked in sub-zero or sub-freezing yeah. weather, rather. And, I mean, the, the height, the, 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 height, the uh, high, was below freezing. Um, a, a cold hold? Fuck. Yeah. What, you jumped in Utah. Yeah, that's where I started. What's the coldest you've jumped in? I don't know. I, I bet it was probably 20 degrees on the ground. Jeez. And it was like, I mean, th- there have been a handful of these days, but the very first time I remember really vividly because we didn't have enough people to send caravan. So they were doing 182 loads. And I had a factory diver full face helmet, which I was psyched about, thought it was the best idea ever. And I remember like hearing, as I, as I left the airplane, I remember hearing myself go, oh. Because it was so beautiful, it had snowed like a foot the the night before, and I was like, "Man, I think I just had a real orgasm. That shit was awesome." <laughs> but uh, 
But no, so super, super beautiful free fall. I open my parachute. I take three breaths, and my visor is completely fogged and iced over. And it's a factory diver. The, it, the visor doesn't lift up. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a really scary landing. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that, that, as you started telling the story, it just caught my mind what was going to happen. That just, that'd be kind of freaky. I mean, I, it's so, it's so pretty. I mean, I think it's kind of like a novelty thing. Like, I don't know if I'd be super psyched to jump in the snow again. Yeah. But if you ever have the opportunity to jump somewhere beautiful after a, after a snowstorm and everything is that perfect, co- you know, covered white. Uh, it's really beautiful. It's 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 worth uh, not being able to feel your hands for a day and a half. I have I've jumped when there's snow on the ground, but you can see more ground than snow. Yeah, but dude, dragging your feet through the snow, leaving leaving like not skid marks, but leaving impressions for your feet in the snow. Yeah, it's fucking cool. It's way cooler than leaving skid marks on the grass. I uh, I could imagine, but goddamn, I'm a pussy when it comes to cold. Yeah. So you start in in cross keys. Yep. How many jumps did you do? Uh, in that time frame? Um, so I started in about July of 2003. By April of 2004, I qualified for my A license. Um, beginning of the next year, I had about 107 jumps, then about 250, 350, and then that season I got my tandem rating in 2007 and was doing uh, tandems on the weekends over at Cross Keys. So I was working... A morning job at Express for about two to three hours a day, <laughs> just store set up. I would then drive to my job at Nationwide as a non-injury auto liability adjuster. And then I would drive from there to go rock climbing every night. And then I would go huck drugs all weekend, sleeping in my car, uh, since I didn't have anywhere else to stay there at the drop zone, and then drive back, uh, get some delicious vegan Chinese food on my way through Philly, and then uh, do it all again every other week, every single week. That's what I did all summer. So basically, when you started, you just went balls to the wall. It, it was, it was a pro- compared to what some people are doing here at Spaceland, pretty slow progression of about 100 jumps a year, then 150 was ramping up. Uh, I mean, people here I see are just knocking them out, especially with jump program and stuff like that. It's- we're, we're blessed, though, here. Yeah. I mean, in most of the sport, and even most of the jumpers at Spaceland, that's still balls-to-the-wall numbers. Yep. We just have such a large population, it's easy for a couple to stand out doing what they do. Yep. Um, so early on, your, your first winter is skydiving is, is, a, is also when you learn to skydive. So you don't care about the cold. You don't care about the clouds. You don't care about the wind. You're there all the time. Yep. When did that passion go away? At what point did you say, fuck yeah. it, it's cold, when did you become, I'm not going to the DZ? When did you become reasonable is what he's asking you. <laughs> I agree with that statement, <laughs> yes. So uh, when I had the 100 jumps, got my first brand new gear, thanks to uh, Heath Richardson for the recommendation of Infinity that I've stayed with all these years. Um, but uh, that winter then, I ended up uh, working a Christmas season and I just worked myself to death nonstop, seven days a week. And I said I was going to take half the money I made. And that's when minimum wage was like five fifteen an hour. And I just worked two jobs nonstop, made about four grand in the course of six weeks, took two grand of it as skydiving vacation money, went down to DeLand because that's the only place I knew to go because I knew the name DeLand from all the manufacturers and everything that I'd heard about. So went down there, got some coaching, actually fixed my sit fly that uh, was pretty dreadful from my first 70 attempts at trying to sit fly. So that, that's when I learned. When I went to Florida and I saw them huddled and like shaking while wearing fleeces in 55-degree weather and I'm in a long sleeve T-shirt, like, what are you pussies talking about? 
it's so funny here in Houston to watch people in the winter visit from up north because dude, we are we are huddled up. Dude, we dude, I this I'm gonna agree with both of both sides <laughs> of this because like Utah, a thirty degree like thirty degree day, you yeah. can still totally skydive in that. But you know what happens is you put on a jacket and it insulates you from the cold and you're fine because it's dry. But here, dude, the humidity, it does not matter how many layers you put on. If it's 35 degrees outside, you feel every fucking bit of it. So, sure, we only have a few of those days, but, man, they're fucking rough. They suck. My goal throughout the year is to never have to jump on the days I need gloves because I fucking hate wearing gloves. Um, Same Z's. At the point where I can no longer feel my hands, so I can no longer feel my risers, I decide gloves are better because barely feeling my risers is a better idea. Um, just for me. Um, and, dude, I avoid them. Because we have, what, like five days a year here maybe we need gloves? Maybe some years we do like 14. Uh, 07, you're now, th- you're now throwing drugs part-time. Yep. Hang on. I, can we go, go back to go. for just a second? I want you to elaborate on the uh, gigantic success of your uh, solo sit-fly jumps. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. for a little bit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a topic. Anytime it comes up, just because people still do it. Yep. So I, I just want anyone to be armed with the information that we both wish we had. So I had 30 skydives, and free-flying looked cool. I wanted to do that. Ever- That's the cool shit on the internet, right? Exactly. That's what all the school guys well, are doing. We barely had internet at that point. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's what all the all the you know younger people were doing. If you were 80-plus, great. You were belly-flying there. Um, so everyone else was doing that, so great. I wanted to do that. So saw what other people were doing, got hints from them. There was a... Australian meddled free fly, uh, free flyer and free fly coach there. Got a jump or two with him. Uh, he was very much of the sit flying great. 90 degree at your hips, 90 degree at your knees, arms straight out, sit and just gah, hold it. Um, which when I got to DeLand, uh, I was told otherwise that that is not the way to do it. But uh, just trying to just do what everybody else is doing. And I, I could hold a sit and everything. But uh, it definitely wasn't the best, and I spent a lot of money then relearning how to do it in a better fashion. And those previous 70 jumps I view as wasted money because I could have spent the time to just learn to fly better and get more directed information and have a better end result for yeah, the same Yeah, better foundation, better right. fundamentals. Right, exactly. Be a better flyer when you get a real skill set. Bingo. Instead of dropping two grand to relearn everything. Okay, sorry. You were you had a better question than, than my solo sit fly <laughs> question. I so, did not. You were asking him about what was after. Uh, but it's not a better question. I like that question. Were there any safety concerns during your solo sit career that you ran across that you would <sighs> warn people about? Um, no, but uh, altitude awareness over everything else. Um, I had my coach rating. I got it when I had about a hundred jumps or so. Uh, jumping with a friend of mine who's now a uh, semi-famous base jumper, and uh, she had never jumped her own pack job, so I said I'd go watch her jumper pack job, and she's not very large, so this is before I learned how to fly that slowly. Um, so I'm going, sink out, I end up on my back just watching, and she said at 4,000 she's going to deploy. Great. Watching my altimeter, cool, I just burnt through 4,000, she'll be deploying pretty soon. Watching, watching. Great, she threw. All right, it deployed, flipped over, and I've never seen the ground that big before, ever in my life. 
as my hands went by on my digital, I saw 1,800 feet and then 1,700 feet as my hands waved past me. Pitched. Uh, my nice trusty Spectre opened right on heading. Uh, I landed what is now a parking lot for a Home Depot, but at that point it was just a little bit of a farm field off the drop zone. So I landed there, walked up to the uh, walked up to the road. Some guy with a pickup truck was like, "Do you need a ride back?" So I just hopped in the back of that and on in. My altimeter read my final deployment altitude at 900 feet. Jesus fuck. Nice. Yep. Luckily, I landed off the drop zone. <laughs> Otherwise, I surely would have been grounded. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was that, um, which then kind of the next day, just in the back of my head, I was like, all right, so 900 feet. Cypress fires at 750 feet. If you're back to Earth, it will give a different pressure reading because it's directly onto the wind instead of in your burble. So I was fractions of a second away from an AAD fire on my back, which could have ended up really, really, really badly. So yeah, that kind of just suddenly, that realization hit and I'm like, ooh, I almost killed myself. That's that's not good. Man, altitude awareness is such a a big problem. I, I see it all the time. And when I say I see it all the time, I did a couple mentor jumps recently with a new jumper and break off pass. We're almost 500 feet past break off and they're still looking at me like, yeah, we're kicking ass. And they got the hit and they belt, you know, not too bad. But I, I see so many people breaking off late and never looking at their altimeter. Um, audible altimeter is obviously a super huge help. If you're going to free fly, it is highly recommended you have one, if not two audibles, uh, better chance to hear. But how do you feel about visual versus audible altimeters? And Nick, too. Uh I personally have both. I, I'm i the one who will happily break off a little high because um, you're all my buddies until parachutes deploy, then I don't want to be anywhere near any of you. So uh, also I like to deploy a little bit high because my canopy could possibly open spicy. Luckily, I love my Leia and it opens real nice on heading, but when it doesn't, it's going to get scary fast and I want time. Time is my friend. Altitude is my friend. Um, so... I do glance at my altimeter. Um, I can't find my analog. My typical setup that I would do, especially while instructing, I would have an analog on the back of my hand and I would have my digital in-facing so that no matter what orientation my arm is in, I would always have a visual reference. Uh, plus, in if I'm trying to train someone, especially for SDP, if my hand is in frame, I can always have something in frame as a reference point so that if I'm talking to somebody and debriefing them, like, where did you deploy? Oh, this. And I can show them, well, no, you didn't. Right there. So I'm a big fan of a dual setup, even visual, just more options. I I actually also wear two altimeters on my... I wear an analog Estella on my mm-hmm. hand and my Aries 2 on my forearm. And part of it's what you said. Another part of it is... is why do we wear two parachutes in case one goes wrong? Yep. Why do I wear two altimeters? I doubt one of them is going to have an issue. Mm-hmm. They got battery indicators. I know when to change them. I know when to take care of them. Um, but at the same time, I've given out my altimeter in the plane probably five or six times. I've only been wearing two for a couple few years. And, mm-hmm. hey, man, I forgot my altimeter. Here you go. And it doesn't matter what somebody jumps. I can ask them, do you wear an analog or a digital? Which one would you prefer? And I, I can give them both, man. I'm a huge fan and advocate. I don't think mm-hmm. it's necessary. But... Why not? It doesn't take up any more real space. Yep. Uh, Nick, how much do you look at your visual altimeter? 
Not that much on a, on a normal jump, honestly. Most most of my jumps are tandem videos, which means I'm looking at two people who are looking at their altimeter. I have <laughs> uh, an audible always, so I have one audible in my camera helmet setup and two audibles in my fun jump helmet. I've had an audible die before, and I will never not jump with two on a on a fun jump ever again. Um, unless on the rare occasion where I was going to lend one out, someone didn't have an audible. That's happened one time where I didn't have it for two jumps yeah because someone needed it but uh, i i use my visual altimeter a lot more under canopy I, I i really really love anyone who flies a good pattern like a, a pattern the reason we use that word is because pattern means something that repeats right meaning it's something that should be predictable everyone should be doing a very similar thing and so i really like to use my holding area i really like to do a very predictable 90 degree downwind base and final because i don't i don't want to guess what someone else is doing i don't ever want someone else to have to guess what i'm doing so that's when i use my visual altimeter a lot more but um on uh, on most jumps i'll have uh one if, if it's a work jump i have my my audible and my visual altimeter if it's a fun jump i have two audibles and a visual altimeter Justin, you actually, uh, well, not jumping right now with a bum knee. Sorry to rub it in. Yeah. Doing a it's lot of. It's been like two and a half months. I'm feeding oh. hard. God, has it been that long? Yeah. Jesus. You, uh, you've worked a lot with newer jumpers with the mentor program, and just in, in general, you'll jump with a lot of the newer jumpers. Have you seen altitude awareness an issue with some of those folks? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I think touching back on what Rory was saying, um, mostly deployment. I think is it, they lose awareness or they get too caught up in their head. They don't wave off. They don't anticipate the wave off. They usually end up a lot lower than what they think. And having that in your camera frame just proves that fact. Like, hey, this is where you were. You should have stopped your track five seconds earlier, whatever. Um, and like you guys were saying earlier, uh, when I when I fun jump, especially if it's a, a higher skill jump with a group, I don't really use my visual much. I rely on my dual audibles. But when I'm coaching or instructing, I look at my altimeter as much as, if not more than, the person I'm helping because I expect them to mimic my motions. If they see me looking at my altimeter, they should probably look at their altimeter. And I'm also making sure they're doing what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing what they are doing. <laughs> it's, um, man, it, it's so, so many cans of worm get opened up in the whole <laughs> conversation. Um, if, if just, just, uh, yeah. something to think about if you're a new student and you've got 50 jumps and you're on a 170 or 190 and you're landing before the people who are on 75 foot or smaller parachutes <laughs> that, that left after you yeah you should probably open that thing up a little sooner and you should probably fly it a little more conservatively it's um one of the things that you guys all mention and, and rory probably says of the group you check it the most i'm with rory I wear two, and I probably check my visuals more than the average person does. Um, part of it is, is I do so much training, and I have to land and tell you what altitude you did or did not do certain jobs for AFF and coach courses. Um, and part of it is, is just my inherent thirst to know how close I am to the ground. I just, I like to know. Um, the circadian rhythm for sure builds up. Nick doing the same jumps over and over again, doing team jumps. Even when I'm fun jumping, I do notice I check it less. But man, it it's taken. Not not a lifetime, but it's taken a, a damn long time and hundreds, if not thousands, of jumps to build in these rhythms. So if you're a newer jumper and you think you have that rhythm built in yet, keep checking, keep looking. Way too many people are pulling low. And Justin, you mentioned one of the things they pull low for is they don't anticipate wave off. Mm 
What did you mean by that? I mean, they think um, I need to see 4,500 on my altimeter before I start waving off. Or I need to see 5,000 before I stop my track. You need to know that, hey, 4,800, okay, I'm close enough. I start my wave. By the time you process that information, you're going to be at 45 or even lower, which is part of the reason why in the student progression we have them pull so high is because we know it's going to take that extra tick or two for them to get to that point. A, you got to realize how high you are. B, the time to wave, the time to pull. If you're in free fall and you see 4,500 on your altimeter, you just passed it. Yep. You're no longer there, and you won't be there uh, until your next jump. <laughs> um, the, the thing we hear a lot of jumpers say is, I rely on my audible, I rely on my audible. And one thing I like is, is I think most of us use two audibles. I wear two ProTrack 2s, and I, the reason I wear two is, number one, Nick, you say if one fails. Reason number two is if for some odd reason I can't hear my audibles, having two people screaming at me, I might notice when I, when I, haven't, when I can't hear one. And we've all heard of our friends who have actually not heard their audibles. Um, if you're going fast enough, they get harder to hear, especially with certain types of helmets. Um, so wearing two audibles just makes a lot of sense. But how do you set up and use your audibles? I well, I have a Quattro that I absolutely love. I won't say I was forced into buying it, but uh, strongly encouraged on a big way camp that I was doing, and I love that I have it now. But um, my idea is with my audibles, I set it lower than I want to be using it. It's not a do this. Well, in different times. Uh, luckily, it's got a bunch of settings, so I can use it for what I need it. But for standard, I'm just going out. I'm going to go play. I'm going to go jump. I set it a little bit lower than my intended altitude. So it's the reminder of, hey, dummy, you forgot something. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to rely on it. Uh, I've been starting to kind of dip my toe more into big way stuff for vertical big way stuff, head up and head down stuff. And for that, you need it to tell you to go. So I use it for different ways at different times. Uh, if I'm just Jumping by myself or whatever, it's the, hey, you forgot to do this. You should have been aware of your altitude. So I'm definitely more looking at my visual when I'm just out fun jumping. Uh, whereas if it's a bigger way where they're saying, everybody here leaves at this time, everybody here leaves at this time, I have it set for that to leave with the group. It's, uh, I definitely don't think there's a right or wrong. I think it works very differently for different people. But for new jumpers, I love the model you're using the most because of what you said for for anybody you want to be reliant on your eyes how big does the ground look and what does my visual altimeter say those are much more reliable mm -hmm. and so having it beep late like holy shit you're going to learn to be more altitude aware so i love that as a learning model mm -hmm. nick what do you do yourself on fun jumps uh on a fun jump <clears throat> most most common breakoff altitude for me is five grand uh -huh. so if i intend for the jump to be over at five grand i have the beep set at five grand because that way I'm not negotiating with it. I'm not setting it at 5.5 five, thinking, oh, I've got a couple of more seconds. Uh, I have two set at five. So and I have stereo sound, both ears. Hey, mm -hmm. the skydive's over. Get the fuck out of there. That's one thing I've heard, uh, stereo both ears. I love and prefer my audibles set to the same on both ears. I've heard people who set them alternating different altitudes of both ears. I would get confused as fuck by yeah. that. Sometimes, it, let's say that we're planning on having an upright break off and we're mm -hmm. going to give ourselves 500 feet sometimes i will have one set to 55 and the other still set at five um but not for the i'm not really 
doing anything different other than when I hear a noise, the skydive's over. Yeah. The first the first noise I hear, cool, we're all done. See you later, guys. That's one nice thing about some of the newer ones, the Quattro you mentioned. It's mm-hmm. it's got four beeps in free fall. And just did Raul's big way camp and having that fourth beep is something that's super convenient, super nice for that. I, I have absolutely used that fourth beep in big ways. When there's a wave that's leaving that's not my wave, sometimes I'll have that that first beep set as and I know okay, I'm, but th- that's just thinking about the audible differently on the ground when I set it and in the airplane as I'm mentally you know going through what's going to happen on the jump. Oh, I, I remind myself. Oh, that first beep. That's the first wave leaving. And now now I connect that. That sound to I'm gonna see people going, but I'm not going yet. So there, there's definitely an exception to that. Big mm-hmm. ways I think are just a different kind of jump than than most things that most of us do. But um, but I almost always set it for beep beep means go, beep means leave. I uh, a lot of what I do in work has to be anticipating. A lot of what I do for evaluating and, and training instructors, I have to know when certain altitudes are coming before they're there. So I commonly use it very proactively 500 feet before something happens because I need to know, oh, I got to start watching for this because if they're one or two seconds early, I need to know what are one or two seconds late. Uh, but back to even fun jumping rolls, big way camps this past weekend. It's a couple more fun jumps uh, last week as well. I set them for my break off. I, it's, I, I, I'm a big fan of setting them early, but man, I do love that. Holy shit, I gotta get the fuck out of here yeah. moment. And I guess I can relate, like on a work jump. Uh, so tandem students here are trained to pull. They're gonna pull at six thousand feet. They're instructed to lock on at seven thousand feet. So I do have a beep at seven thousand feet in my in my work helmet. That I guess just means stop fucking with that student because now they have a job to do. So I guess that's a beep that I, that I don't leave on. But um, I think a work jump when you're responsible for someone else. Mm-hmm is different than a, a fun jump where you're just responsible for you. Definitely a different mindset, man. <clears throat> it kind of, the, the talk of audibles for one second distracts me, and it distracts me because a Pro Track 2 is the audible I jump right now. And Nick, did you know the people listening to this could have a Pro Track 2? How are they going to win that? Man, the Gravity Lab <laughs> Film Festival, motherfucker. <laughs> man, that was not a setup, but it worked out pretty that good. Worked that worked out awesome. So October 20th is the Gravity Lab Film Festival. It is our second ever film festival. We're co-hosting it with Dallas Base Crew, Charity, and, oh my God, Brad Perkins. Uh, super, super really nice folks. Ben Nelson in Dallas will also be helping with a, a film festival. You can a Pro Track 2 a GoPro 6, an Aries 2, six total jumps from Skydive Spaceland, a free jumpsuit, a free custom jersey from Option Studios. Uh, I think we've got a stash pack coming from, what's the name of that company? Uh, Apex Base. Uh, some subscriptions to Blue Skies Magazine. What's the real reason to join the film festival? Well, I mean, it's, uh, I did the math the other day, Nick. <laughs> it's $2,300 plus in prizes. That's awesome. That's ridiculous. That's super cool. But fuck that. It's a party. And the, glory. I, I, Don't I, forget the glory. There is glory. Yes. But man, it, it sure was fun just to have everybody together hanging out watching skydiving videos. Only that's th- the thing that first got me into editing was a, a really similar thing. I'm sure uh-huh. I've talked about it before. The Bring it. Uh, it's skydiving mesquite every January. So Utah, we'd stop jumping because it was too fucking cold, which we talked about. And uh, we'd all uh, take the uh, the caravan, the skydive Ogden caravan, down to Mesquite, Nevada, skydive mesquite. In January, for they had a Blue Skies Boogie, is what it was called, and there was a film festival there every year. And when I first started <laughs> jumping a camera, I sucked shit at skydiving, like like most most people with a couple hundred jumps. And uh, so all all my videos were just exits, openings, and landings. 
is all I had. It's <laughs> like in the middle, I sucked at that part, so I wasn't going to show anyone my my shitty free flying from super far away, you know. So I always fantasized about like having footage that was good enough to to be in in that film festival, and that's what uh, what made me learn a lot about uh, editing. Is I wanted to have a good video for that film festival. I think my favorite part of last year's film festival was just the crowd reactions to every video. Whether there were moments of, of cool shredding, they were like, ooh, was," But the best reactions always came to the real skydiving. And I say real skydiving, we funnel jumps, we dock hard, we don't do the right things. And, and two of the most popular and best videos were uh, Jimmy Wynn and Danny, uh, Danny Fuentes. And both of them were just straight up fun skydiving. There was some cool stuff. Danny with 100 jumps won because she just got footage from her friends. So you can have footage like Nick Law exits and just landings, and that's cool. <laughs> you might win. Or get with your homies. Ask them for their footage. Tell them, hey, I want to make a video for the film festival. Yeah, and when your friend comes to you and asks you for that footage, say, fuck you, I'm making a video too. Boom. <laughs> Put a skit together. I'm pushing so hard, man. One day somebody's going to come up with the best skit ever, and I'm going to be happy. But I'm not the judge, so I don't announce the winner. So when is that? October 20th. October 20th. We start somewhere around sunset. I am considering in the future going to November. It's just because sunsets earlier makes it an easier day but back to it man come for the party it's the best part man the people the good time Roy, are you gonna try to show up this year um i'll try but work is work it's full of shit he's not coming <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of thing i say when i'm not gonna show up to something so sp- speaking of work what's uh what's the rigging world like these days how much rigging are you doing um i've got a bunch um i just got a couple of canopies dropped off from another drop zone need some patches into a seam and whatnot and sorts of fun things like that What's is there anything about rigging that you actually enjoy doing? Like something comes up and you're kind of excited. <laughs> you sound like he hates his job. <laughs> no, I mean it's like I just did my line set a couple of days ago. Yeah, it's not it's not all that fun. The it's rewarding when it's done. I'm like oh yeah, I took care of my gear and it works well now. But uh, it's nothing that I look forward to doing. You know. Yeah. But but maybe maybe there's a certain sewing project or whatever that that you like. Does that exist? Um. Nope. All right. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks, folks. Um, so I I enjoy any time that I actually get to use my brain. As it is, I could pack nearly every rig on the market with blindfolded, which eventually I'm going to shoot that video of me doing a blindfolded reserve repack. I have to do it because I know I can do it because I've done too damn many. Um, I appreciate then making everyone look the best it can, fit the best for the customer, all that stuff. But... Uh, when I get a project, it's the, you know, hey, can you make this? Like somebody wanted a belly band for their rig because it was moving around a little bit. And they said, hey, I want a cell phone pocket in it. So I was like, all right, well, how can I do that? And So and you sewed a fanny pack onto the front of their belly band? It was bright neon. No. Um, <laughs> actually, it was for, a, uh, for an infinity with one of the crosshatch patterns stitched onto it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing it. It was uh, black with orange contrast stitching all across it. I did that and... Made a figured out how to do cell phone pocket, so ended up making that for him. He loved it, and then somebody else saw it on my Instagram page, and they wanted one, and now they want two more because they have two rigs, so they clearly need three belly bands. 
<laughs> Obviously. Man, Duh. we live in such a, a wonderful day and age of skydiving, and God damn, are we spoiled, man. Yes. It, it was, uh, dude, I, I am not against it. I think the spoiled day and age is fucking awesome. The fact that people can afford all the coaching and are doing all these great organized events, it has pushed and excelled our sport. But I need three belly bands as white world problems. Yes. yes. First world problems. Yes. You say white world, you raise this fuck. White world problems, yo. <laughs> I was watching uh, what's that South Park the other day. I'm super far behind, and uh, the white uh, the white family. It's up to the white people. You know what I'm talking about? No. You look like Cartman. I thought you'd know. Um, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> so the rigging world. You Screw own, you guys. I'm going home. You own real rigging services. Yep. How did you get your start in rigging? Um, my first full-time season as a skydiving instructor, I moved from Pennsylvania to the Sacramento suburbs, uh, Davis, California. And uh, a friend of mine had said, as soon as I get my tandem rating, let him know he'd get me a job. Sure enough, I got cold called to move out there and uh, went and just knew nobody, saw whatever I could fit into a Toyota Corolla and went across the country. Um, I had purchased a second rig because I figure if I'm full-time skydiver, I'm going to need two rigs, ability to do back-to-backs, just flexibility, whatever. My drop zone owner, Ray Farrell, was also a rigging examiner. So I kind of came to the conclusion, if I'm going to be doing this for a living, uh, being a rigger, at least for myself, is going to be wise financially at, you know, minimum of four repacks. Well, at the time, it was 120-day repack cycle. So I would need six repacks a year between two rigs. And then eventually that year, it went to the 180-day cycle, which still four repacks a year. That's 300 bucks a year minimum I'd be spending on repacks. And then three years, if I'm doing this full time, great with what it was going to cost me to get the rating, it was going to pay for itself if I only took care of my gear and I never had a cutaway. So it was just the flexibility as well as the financial soundness of trying to help this career that doesn't necessarily pay too well to be slightly less financially um, limiting. So I'm a, I'm a little shocked that that's your answer. It makes sense, mm-hmm. but... To me, you're a gearhead, not necessarily car-style guy mm-hmm. gearhead, mm-hmm. but you like equipment, you like gear. For example, at the tunnel, you're on the maintenance staff because you like to know how shit works and mm-hmm. fix things. Yep. So I really thought part of your biggest answer would be, I had to understand the system. Kind of. So I had started base jumping, base jumping seriously. <laughs> uh, instead of just going to bridge day, I decided I wanted to actually continue base jumping more regularly. And had 60-ish or so jumps by the time I got to California, and I was staying pretty current there. And then it kind of came around to the fact that I'm skydiving for a living. I understand how my base gear works and how to alter it, do it for different things. But the stuff that I'm doing for a living, I don't understand everything about it. Uh, So just for that mental aspect of additional safety, just additional peace of mind to know how the system works uh plus as an instructor if students are going to ask you questions the better informed you are the better informed they are safer everybody's going to be so that and just the easy proximity of getting a rigging ticket the fact that i could learn right where i worked anyway it was just an easy decision 
there's so many people who who want to become riggers. They don't know how to become riggers. And one of the first things that that I would recommend to them is just go to your local rigger and ask them what it takes to become a rigger. Mm-hmm. Because most riggers will take you under their wing or at least guide you someplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, You, for example, would do that in the past with uh, Spaceland. And today I'm sure you still would, but you're not rigging as full-time with your other endeavors. But uh, you had a lot of people train that way. But Mm -hmm. one of the downsides here in Houston has always been getting a rigger's ticket. Mm -hmm. Is that changing, getting a ticket here in the Houston area? Yes, we now have a DPRE in the Houston area. So a lot of our friends, uh, designated parachute rigger examiner. Yep. What is a DPRE? A DPRE is who can take you from being a nobody to being the fancy, you know, uh, chick magnet that you could hope to be of being a parachute rigger. <laughs> girl, I can pack the shit of that reserve. What's up? <laughs> I can make a wrinkle-free girl. Exactly. Uh, and, and a lot of skydivers will know what an examiner mm-hmm. is for coaches, an examiner mm-hmm. for instructors, and it's mm-hmm. the same thing. It's basically kind of what uh, the rating center and what we do mm-hmm. for, for the rigging world. Yep. Um, we have one here in Houston now, or we're getting one? We officially, as of, I think, within the past month or two, um, Marcelo Garcia did get his checkoff from the FAA. Congratulations, first of all, yeah. Marcelo, man. That's, yeah. that's fucking badass. Uh, but also, that's huge because a lot of our friends uh, up till now have traveled yep. to get the rigorous ticket to good places, to good people. Mm-hmm. But man, the convenience of doing this at home, yep. man, it just makes Houston that much more attractive in the skydiving world to me. For sure. It's because uh, we know it's the weather that keeps us here. That humid, humid cold there you like, <laughs> Nick? Or uh, today's thunderstorms were also nice. Dude, swimming <laughs> from the landing area to the hangar. When it's dry in the landing area, it's just that fucking humid. Yeah, when the, when the weather's here, when it's good, man, it's so good. But then, it, then it's cold and it rains. It's, and I get so sad. Or it's the <laughs> thousand-year flood of Harvey. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, at least it's not a year ago. Yeah, it's been a whole year since Hurricane Harvey. Yep. Dude, how did your house do in Harvey? Total sidetrack. I stayed dry and got a great shot of me in a compression shirt and gold lame bikini bottom standing out in a puddle of water with my uh, former mate, Ori Cooper. And it was, it, it's a fantastic photo. Uh, we'll share it later. You <laughs> described that scene and it's funny because your two roommates are the one who are gay, but you dress that way. I'm fantastic, bitch. You're fabulous, <laughs> man. Um, dude, fucking Harvey was ridiculous. Yeah. I had a tension headache for four days because I had people's gear in my house, tens of thousands of dollars worth of gear, and I'm terrified of flooding. So uh, I had five eight-foot-long folding tables for packing rounds. I just set those up in my apartment, and anything that seemed like it was worth any money, we just threw it on top of there for four days, and I just was curled up in bed just terrified of the monetary output I would have to do to pay for people's gear to be replaced. Man, it's it's amazing what our friends went through and how crazy that mm-hmm. was, dude. I, it's Houston is a town that I'll make fun of because of a the tallest thing we have is an overpass. Um, Houston is, is a unique town, but in the last couple of years or in the last year, we've done two things that have impressed me. Number one, Harvey, and number two is world to win the World Series in baseball, and that. Winning the World Series mean mean <laughs> mean one thing, but how many cities do you see both of those events happen and they're fucking nonstop riots? That's all they're at Batman. Cars are getting flipped, people are catching shit on fire, they're breaking in and stealing shit. We went through Harvey and we went through the World Series and we didn't do that. Well, you can't catch it on fire if it's underwater. <laughs> <laughs> man, Houstonians, as much as the problems I see and we'll make fun of, man, what, what a fucking good town. Mm-hmm. I really have enjoyed this town. Let's go, Oregon. <laughs> Dude. Um, real quick, I do want to take one other second. Uh, man, did you see uh, Skydive Sam Marcos is actually uh, having their All You Can Jump Boogie this weekend? 
It's their last weekend at Skydive San Marcos, and one of our buddies, Andres Perez, was cleaning the plane. Did you see that, Justin? I did see that, yeah. You know, Andres owns the Good Guys Detailing. Um, a lot of people have, might have heard or know about Andres, the Good Guys Detailing Company. Uh, they will detail cars, planes, um, RVs, you name it. They'll come to do it. To, uh, they'll come and do that to you. That sounds so dirty right now, Andres. <laughs> what you gonna do for me, boy? Uh, they they are a mobile service man. He'll detail your undercarriage. Oh, he'll make it look so good. <laughs> I've got some metal so down there. Maybe. Oh Jesus, let's not go to that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Buff it out and polish uh, it. Metal junk. So if you need your RV, you need your airplane, you need your car polished, you just need a basic detailing, you need full service, you need protective coating, or you need your junk polished up, Rory Corrigan, <laughs> hit up the Good Guys Detailing Company. Uh, you can find them on Facebook, the Good Guys Detail TX, and uh, they'll show up there. Pretty good guys. If you uh, mention Gravity Lab Radio or show a USPA membership card, they'll actually knock 10% off any of their major services. And uh, you can also text them at 512-749. I'm glad I have this written down. 9087, because I can't memorize numbers anymore. And Andres actually commented, tonight only, any Houston area or Austin area listener that gets an appointment for a ceramic job gets $150 off. Oh, shit. Boom, man. Boom, Fucking well worth it, man. Well, well worth it. I just washed my car uh, yesterday. Have you washed your car since that job? No. Dude. <laughs> I'm gimpy. I, <laughs> Give me a break. That's true. That How, is a good defense. You know, like, when shit gets stuck on your car, bug guts? Yeah. When shit gets stuck on your car, dude, everything just wiped off like nothing. It was so easy to wash, man. Anyways, uh, between them and I really got to thank our friends at Velocity Sports Equipment. Rory, you're wearing a super nice jersey tonight. It's a good-looking shirt, gentlemen. Dude, Infinity has been my choice of rigs since 1999. I've uh, owned and jumped many other rig manufacturers. Super good ones out there for sure. But uh, Infinity, man, I love my rig. Roy, you happen to be an Infinity fan. Uh, yes, I am sponsored by them because it's the only rig I want to jump. I've jumped a bunch of things. Everybody's great, but nothing has just hugged me, especially for uh, I love upright flight, and nothing is better for sit flying than Infinity, especially with the floating laterals. It's just comfy. Man, uh, hit up Infinity. Hit up a... Man, what's Riley's email address? VSE at Velocity Sports. Velocity Rigs. Velocity Rigs, that's it. VSE at Velocity Rigs. Mention Gravity Lab Radio. And the special instructions mention Gravity Lab Radio. Get the free mesh back pad upgrade. Uh, The people at Velocity Sports Equipment really are family to me. Uh, I've known Kelly for damn near 20 years now. So uh, super good people. Family-owned, family-run, family-operated. I'm huge in, in buying local and supporting the small-scale economy, um, and, and they're super good people based out of Oregon. Check them out. Um, dude, so upright flying. Mm-hmm. Your Infinity's good for that. Love it. Yeah, you do a lot of upright flying, don't you? That's that's kind of my thing, man. What do you mean it's your thing? Um, it Just for flight-wise, it's the most fun to me. It's A lot of people don't like to sit fly because it's hard as shit. To actually do it really well, um, I've kind of taken that as a challenge, and I just love the dynamics of it and trying to figure out stupid new positions to fly while fly, still flying stable and uh, greater mobility in it, and uh, especially in the tunnel. That's where I really like to focus on. I've been doing a lot of directed head-up camps, um, to build VFS-based skills as well as to work toward the head-up big way formations. Uh, I like to push it because I like it, and the more people that like it, the more complex, bigger things I can do with it. 
Last year, actually, you guys set a Texas State record. I say you guys. Yep. Did you help organize that camp? No, I was just a uh, rank and file to help set it. That's all. Okay. I, I read on Facebook where you were tagged in it. I was I couldn't figure out yep. who had posted or shared yep. that. Um, but it was set as Spaceland Dallas last year. What's the Texas record for head up? Should be a twenty-four way. Twenty-four man and. and People commonly think, oh, yeah, sip line is the first thing you do when you learn to free fly. That's yeah. easy. You can do that. Yeah. Um, man, do you know the, the Texas State record head down? I think it's like 56 or 60, somewhere yeah. around there. It's like yeah. it's like double. Yeah. That's how much harder head up flying is, yeah. and some people don't realize it. Yeah. I think the world head up record is like what, 72 or 80 people, and they were just trying for 200 head down last week. So, yeah, that, that should say something. Man, head up flying, I, th- I think it's super cool. Watching you guys who fly, it's strong. It, it's fun. I like watching your, when you're knee flying. I think it's your profile picture. Yeah, the uh, basically taking like the head down shelf and then flipping it upside down. I actually was just uh, flying with somebody the other day. I was in the door at the tunnel, and they were goofing off, and I popped in, and I did that, and he just looked me right in the eye and said, What? <laughs> sounds like yeah. Justin Grant. <laughs> uh, it's Robert Pendergrass. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like Justin Grant would look at you and be like, "What?" Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's done that plenty to me. Every. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking like so. Where are your feet at when you're when you're flying this way? Um, feet are behind me. Basically, my uh, straight through the hips, flat. Basically, from the shoulders all the way to the knees is flat. Are your toes pointed behind you? Yes. Okay, that's the move. Okay. Yeah, that I one. Yep. Right. Toes pointed, arms out in front, and just kind of chilling there. And it, I uh, actually the first person I saw do it was Jay Veenendal. Yeah, and I saw Jay do this on a jump where we were all free flying with Steve Senior, yep. trying to get him ready to surprise Steven, his son. Yep. And uh, oh no, I just broke. Nah, it. don't worry about it. But, uh, <laughs> shout out to Was. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw Jay doing that, and from the perspective of where I was, I thought I saw him belly flying mm-hmm. because it's really close. Yeah, the, seeing him do it pissed me off enough that I wanted to do it, and I learned to do it because it pissed me off so much that he could do that. That looks cool. Fuck you. I'm stealing it. Just let it dangle. Welcome, welcome to skydiving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nick, stop playing with Waz's dongle. Hey, you know what? <laughs> People who aren't watching don't know what you're talking about. Great job. That was a good job. Man, I, I gotta. I do have to take a second. What he's playing with is a uh, painted Waz game. What, what Nick's sitting in the corner playing with right now yeah. is a long black <laughs> cable. Okay, yeah, cable. It's skinny. Waz, uh, WaziCircus.com hooked us up with this painting. It's a super awesome. It's actually an angle flight with him and some buddies out of Skydive Lone Star. Uh, but check out Wazi Circus. You can get a print of that painting. You can get all sorts of other super cool prints. Uh, he's trying to get. Don't worry about it, Nick. It's, it's, Quit. Yeah. There's a. Re- and maybe if you have one, Nick will come over and play with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that actually will be a backlight LED. So that cable is actually for an LED backlight. And Nick, you're gonna pull it off the wall. I wouldn't play with it any more than you already have. You don't know me. <laughs> no, no. I know the nails that are in that wall, bro. And you, I'm really getting nervous right now yeah, about yeah. the amount that's moving. Yeah, it's my job to destroy DJ's house tonight, not you, Nick. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> so uh, head up flying to tell that story. Man, motherfucker comes into my house. God damn it. <laughs> I made it worse. You have no idea the level of anxiety this is causing me right now. Wrap that. That's not going to work. No, no. Wrap that court cable up with that rubber band. Just keep fucking talking. Tell, talk about the stupid shit Rory did so I can fix this. <laughs> I hope your mom's watching because you broke yet another Shut fucking up, mom. thing. Shut up, mom. 
wrap up that dongle. Responsible people do it. <laughs> oh my god, you're breaking my house. Uh, we're gonna go back to head up flying, man. Um, so right now you're running these head up camps. Yep. Uh, what is a head up camp? What do you mean? So how I've been focusing it is um, we're getting an hour of time. We're getting. Sorry. <laughs> right there, Nick. There, I thought about changing I'm the doing, camera angle. I'm, I'm like, there's great. no way I'm doing it because we need to keep Nick in the frame. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank How, you, Justin. Well played, sir. And the struggle will continue. <laughs> and the struggle is real. <laughs> um, so the current format I've been doing is uh, 12 flyers broken into three four-way groups. And then one of those groups will split in two to make it uh, two six-way groups. The four-way groups, it's... The first thing I ever do for any of the camps I've been running is everyone gets in, we find a good wind speed, and then we have people intentionally bail. They're going to go from their sit-fly position to their back, come back to their feet, just to make sure that everyone is safe and feels comfortable if things are going weird to recover to their back, take a breath, and get back into things quicker instead of becoming a ricocheting ping-pong ball. Uh, like me. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. God, it's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. But so much not fun to be. Yeah, and <laughs> not as much fun when you're the person in the door who's trying to save the other three people and you're going, <laughs> my job's on the line, please don't let anyone die. That one. Um, so once we get people just kind of all situated, feeling comfortable with wind speeds and being able to uh, safely bail with each other, the four-way stuff has been more VFS-centric, just how to take grips um, onto hands, onto feet, just getting people doing different stuff. I try to have a little bit of a different focus each time. Uh, the last one was about visuals, like having people move around turns and really just try to keep eye contact with other people. Um, I've had one where it was all about feet. So it was foot-to-foot docks, hand-to-foot docks, and just trying to get people focused on a different thing each time just to get them more comfortable with a different concept and just break it down uh, each particular time. When we get the six ways, that's more focused on to the head up big way skills. Um, even if you can fly head up or if you can fly head down, the big ways are a totally different world. It's a different skill set. It's a different type of flying. Um, so the biggest thing we're focusing on is the proper type of grips. Depending on where you are in the formation is how your hand is going to be placed onto the person ahead of you in the formation. Uh, just building good habits about that so it's more second nature so that you're not doing the fumbling around and trying to like interlace fingers and all the things people seem to try to do when they try to take a dock <laughs> on everybody else. Um, building good habits that we teach in student program of level slot dock. Um, making sure your levels in a formation is where you're always going to be a head higher than the person so you can see over them. So in a formation, you can see across the formation to the person who's your mirror on the other side um, to just have a better shape to it. Um, so I'm passionate about it. I want the head up big ways and everything head up flying to grow. So I'm doing what I can to push it. And I'm also trying to then, if we can get more people flying together, we can drive the cost down and we can get more people to fly more often. And I've also been trying to take this skill set outdoor. A couple of weeks ago, I ended up doing a skydiving upright camp trying to get people to exit safely from the front and rear of the door and how to maintain good visuals and maintain uh, head-up orientation on the hill and also how to make 
how to appropriately and safely close gaps to come in so that they're close so that we can actually even think about building a formation because we hmm. can't build a formation if you're a football field away. Man, it, one of the first things I think about when you say that is is take a good basic big way camp. I just did <laughs> Rolls big way camp this past uh, weekend mm-hmm. and super well worth it. We're actually going to have him back on and talk talk about good big way discipline. Um, and understand if you're thinking big way stuff, some of this is inverted belly to free flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, levels sometimes are different upside down or, or right side up. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, Nick go. <laughs> I actually was wondering a question uh, about I, I don't do many upright big ways mm-hmm. because I suck at sit flying. I just don't yep. I just don't do enough of it in the right. sky. Um, but just the shape of it, uh, head down big way, you're building more of an umbrella shape. Yep. But a head up big way is is the opposite. It's more of a bowl. Yeah. Does it? Uh, you know, the regular head down big way is going to kind of slow down as it gets gets bigger and bigger is that less of a problem with uh people upright because of the way the levels work um i think it's just more the simply you're getting a bigger formation it's getting more people it's going to have you know more uh surface area mm-hmm. regardless so it's still gonna catch a lot of air and slow down so you have to watch your levels as you're coming in because speed will change what uh, what for you is the hardest? I mean, you're a really well-rounded sit flyer. What mm-hmm. what's the biggest challenge for an upright record for someone with your skill set, or an upright big way of any sort? Right, um, getting anxious um, when you get there and you're like, cool, it's there, and you're going for the grip before making sure that you've taken the time to settle down and make sure you're doing what you need to do instead of getting grip focused. Uh, a lot of people just go, there's my grip, and they're going to rush in. Um, even on one of uh, on the last head-up world record, uh, I was going to be stinging onto a second pod on the formation, and I was in my spot waiting just out of the corner of my eye, waiting for that pod to build, keeping reference on my cross partner, and I was there waiting, waiting, waiting for several jumps. They then cut a bunch of those people and they're like, all right, you're in there now as a second stinger. So I got in, got to my spot, got there real quick, got the guy. And then my levels kind of started to change. So I released, so I wouldn't pull the guy off ahead of me. As I went to redock, my audible went off time to break off. Um, because I let go of that grip and it was coming down to the line of the last three jumps or so that they were getting for the record. They were just sloughing people from the outside rings and, because I came in and released, gone. Um, so stuff like that, just the people getting caught up in the moment of, I need to get the grip. You need to do your job, and the grip will be there. So just slowing down and not being... Oh, you mean that discipline thing that people are always talking about? <laughs> that shit works? Nah. Uh, Poppycock. That's one of the things that, that Raul talked about this past weekend is, is be you don't want to anticipate or be anxious and part of not being anxious is discipline and part of discipline is being there for the day on time being to dirt dives on time being to debriefs on time mm-hmm. always being where you need to be and even as we walk the skydive i mean it was a simple 14 way i say simple uh, there were some newer jumpers on the 14 way um but still walking it with the discipline and the intent of picturing this is my approach on a skydive i'm in free fall right now and this is the back of the dude that i'm docking on this is what it's going to look like. That makes such a big difference to have that discipline to take that anxiety out. Mm-hmm. 
and, and help you. And one of the things is, is the, the two hardest parts of, of Big Way sometimes or any skydive is docking, but also exiting. And exiting, I remember, and I think we all remember when we used to do sit-fly exits where we were vertical sit-fly in the door, and people still do this all over the place. And we launch what is a sit to the earth, our feet are to the earth, but one guy's back is to the relative wind, the other guy's belly is to the relative wind. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're doing these outdoor, this outdoor skydiving, we're finally calling <laughs> it that shit, man. <laughs> Dude, I had a hard time. I made the post for you uh, the other uh, t- today, the description for this, and I was like, he's an indoor and outdoor skydiving instructor <laughs> is what I wanted to say. I'm like, God damn it, we're finally there. Um, on one of them outside skydives, uh, how much do y'all focus on them exits doing sit proper? Uh, for that particular <laughs> camp, that was one of the biggest things, honestly, I wanted to try to achieve. Um, that's not how you're going to exit on the head up big ways. You're going to be approaching on your head for those. But for this, I want to just rank and file Saturday at the drop zone. So people want to go head up flying. Great. Let's get them to exit head up safely instead of people doing the, oh, well, let's just exit a flower and then we'll flip it after mm-hmm. you waste all this time just flailing in a head down <laughs> orientation because you can't even sit fly. You definitely can't fly head down yet. So just focus on one thing at a time instead of doing one kind of shitty and then doing the other moderately not as shitty. And upright exits are tough. Oh, yeah, they it's, suck. That's one oh, thing they that I, suck. I've really only started working on them in the last like year and a half, and I can finally now exit facing front or facing rear and actually end up on my feet. Now, can you exit from inside the plane and take it out sideways? Ooh, that, that's the hero slot. And it I don't, sucks. I don't know that I could do that. I yeah. would definitely try and cheat it. If you put me in that slot and yep. like a four way round, mm-hmm. I would definitely try and try and cheat it. Yep. Sideways. I'm thinking it now. Yeah. Yeah. 45 degree angle, kind of like kicking it over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, it sucks. You're on the sides of the round. Yep. Okay. Um, man, definitely. There's no doubt when I was convinced that you got to try to sit fly exit instead of this back belly fly exit. Mm-hmm. Um, it is much, much more difficult, but God Damn, does it feel good when you stick that exit, mm-hmm. when you stick that round. Uh, we did one, Steven, Nicole, Valerie, and myself. And and I haven't done many sit flags as properly. Val had never done any. And uh, didn't hold the dock, but she fucking nailed it, man. It was just so much fun. It feels so good to, to fly those. Um, what You, you kind of described what motivated the big way, uh, the, the head of big way thing. But what does somebody need to do to get involved in these tunnel camps? I, I see you post them all the time. Um, so what I'm looking for is, so if anyone's not familiar with the IBA, International Body Flight Association, that's who for iFly, uh, rates instructors, as well as will, um, provides the skill set to say that different flyers are safe to fly with one another, uh, tunnelflight.com. Um, you can fill out your profile and that way, if you go to different tunnels, there's a baseline to know what skills you have safely because they've been approved by an IBA rated instructor to say you're good for that. So I'm looking for people who can fly in the 90 plus percent speed range at my tunnel. Every tunnel speeds are different, but uh, about the 90s. Then what we're looking to do is make sure that they can safely fly at least two people initially. Like they have flown with other people successfully. Um, And then able to take a dock with at least one hand comfortably and be able to fly it uh ideally two docks uh double-handed docks so that we can do more and get more accomplished what if it takes me the whole two-minute rotation to get the second dock nick's flown with me it, it <laughs> happens that's why we generally have uh, push that head back 
Exactly. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's generally my well, problem. That's <laughs> um, generally why I have kind of uh, break it down by skill level into a kind of more intermediate, advanced, and uh, you know upper level kind of group, so that I'll have a similar plan for each group. But generally, the people who are in the upper group are people I've known. I've flown with a bunch, and I can say, "Cool, here's what you can do." But if you want to also do this, then great, you know, tack that on just to liven it up for yourself a little bit. So I try to give people a little bit more freedom, especially in the upper level group, to try more things if they're feeling gutsy, um, providing a framework. Uh, the ultimate goal of why I wanted to do this is to get more people flying together and try to help make it more approachable and affordable, mm -hmm. um, just drive the cost down by having more people to fly with. Plus, if there's 12 people in the building and they see each other fly and they fly safely, um, if they just have spare time and it's a Tuesday afternoon and they want to come out and fly, instead of where people will oftentimes come into the tunnel and then just kind of stare at each other 20 seconds and start pointing and giving, like, you go over here and you do this. If there's some structure and... Um, you know, there's drills that they can work on. Like, hey, remember the thing we did last time? Great, let's do that. And you can accomplish more in a shorter amount of time and, again, get more bang for your buck. Now, I just want to say that no plan huck jams do have their place. Oh, for sure. But I, I'm trying to get one going really soon. If anybody's interested, get a hold of me because we're actually trying to throw one in the next, like, two weeks if we can. But it's not somewhere you're going to learn anything, right? <laughs> uh, other than you're, how to avoid each yeah, other you're gonna you're going to get it. You're going to have some fun. You're going to make some bad decisions. <laughs> you may or may not be holding your elbow for the next week or two. <laughs> you speak from experience? Oh, God. <laughs> Terrible, terrible experience, yes. <laughs> there was the one time during my birthday huck jam that we had 13 people in the tunnel, and I caught a spot when someone lost uh, their sit fly and was winging I feel like across I the was, tunnel. I feel like I was in the tunnel yeah. when this was happening. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I was crouched down in the corner. Yeah. Luckily, they were directly <laughs> in front of me and shooting straight at me, and I was just kind of like, this is what you trained for, and caught him <laughs> and stopped him. And uh, sadly, Tim Kelly's bottom was in front of the camera so i didn't even have video of oh, it oh well that figures yeah yeah damn it tim kelly's bottom tim kelly's got a big old butt exactly um <laughs> sir makes a lot would be proud so when you're not that doing one of cool these jet. uh one of these tunnel camps yep. what's your favorite thing to do in the wind tunnel what's your favorite flying um i i prefer stuff in the vfs range of things and um, it's so relieving to hear someone with your skill set say that. Because, <laughs> dude, VFS is cool as fuck. Yeah. Like, that's what was super cool when I started flying, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, like when Standard was such a big deal and yep. when Team 4 Speed was such a big deal. Yep. It was like, man, these are the guys that are fucking doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I spent a lot of time getting decent at, at four-way VFS. <laughs> and I still really, really enjoy it, especially mm -hmm. with a, like a tight crew of people. And it's like, you, you really get in that flow when you feel the rhythm of something. Man, mm -hmm. it's, it's a ton of fun. Yep. Dynamic flying is also fun. But I feel like VFS is, is pretty overlooked with uh, kind of the what, what's trendy in the, in the tunnel. Yeah. Says. I need you to take a quick break on that conversation or, or in this conversation, because recently... A buddy of ours, sometimes we define things for wuffos, but uh, Jimmy Rude, I don't know if you know Mr. Rude. He's a jumper, a fun jumper dude. Good fucking dude. wonderful person. Ignore his last name. It's just cool as fuck. <laughs> Jimmy Rude's like, yo, dude, what's the difference between dynamic and static flying? Dude's got like a thousand skydives. Mm -hmm. Super heads up fella. Uh, does a lot of wingsuiting might be why you don't know mm -hmm. him. 
But uh, what is VFS? What is static? What is dynamic? We use these words a lot. Mm -hmm. Why don't you guys explain that? Go, for me? go ahead, Rory. Cool. Um, static flying meaning, as a general rule, you're maintaining your area in flight, uh, whether in the tunnel or the sky. Um, if you're doing formations, there may be parts and pieces where you move over and across each other, but as a general rule, you're in place making formations. Uh, VFS is vertical formation skydiving to where you're either on your feet or on your head, and again, making formations. Uh, in the judging side of things, it's you have a series of patterns, you do those formations, once you've gone through the three to five that you have, you start back at the top, you keep repeating them in time. Whoever has done them the most times correctly wins that round. Commonly vertical four-way. Yep, exactly. Uh, dynamic being the thing that the tunnel spawned. Um, whereas you have a start and a stop line, uh, people will enter the tunnel, fly the current standard for a dynamic competition is you have your snake, your vertical, and your mixer. Snake being where you end up kind of doing about a figure eight through the tunnel past your start and stop lines. Uh, next is a vertical where you do some kind of layout. Uh, there's a different variety of them. Um, I believe it's dynamicfourway.net has tutorial videos so you can see what all of those are. Uh, and then the final one is a mixer where end up people will kind of cross paths in some way or another. Um, and then you do it all again from the top going... If you were going left initially, now you're going right, and then you'd go back the initial direction one more time and fly out. It's uh, most often set up in a battle format where you've got two two teams. Whoever finishes first, they go into the next move in the bracket, just like on like a it's basketball like a bracket. Dance off, bro! It's who exactly. can do flips and fly in circles the fastest and exactly. pretty shapes. Yep. Yeah, and that's the one. Basically, when you say uh, mixer, when I see you and Tex get in and, and breaks when we're not flying, that's the kind of shit you guys are doing. Was that what you would define as mixer? So, uh, God, how would you describe a mixer? Um, it's so uh, one mixer is circles. So if you've got um, two-way dynamic, you'll have um, your start and stop line on either side, and then kind of a center line between. And you've got the people just kind of going like uh, cogs, uh, wheels going past each other, boom, boom, like that. Uh, a shuffler is going to be where people come across. One person cuts across the other person. They cut across. They fly away from each other, back around. They cut paths again, and then meet back around. Like so, some of the some of the stuff is a very follow the leader sort of thing. Uh -huh. Like the snakes, uh, for the most part, is a follow the leader sort of move. But then a mixer, you're kind of both doing the same shape, but uh, like in two way and in four way, it's kind of. In two way, you're kind of doing the same shape on opposite sides of the tunnel, Mirrors. and then it moves back into. Uh, is it a layout after a mixer? It depends on if you're going to head up or head down. You're either going to do a layout or a bottom loop. What's a bottom loop? Uh, you're going to do a layout to where you come down belly to the net, and you're going to do a flip to back up to your head. So, so if you're if you're going to do a head down snake, you need to. If you're coming through your belly, if you were just finish it, you'd finish on your feet. Yeah. So you need to flip from your belly to your back and then up to your head and then start the snake again for a head down snake. It's funny. It's so confusing. Like I know exactly. Like I can picture all of this stuff and I can yeah. fly a good chunk of it. 
and even hearing it described is still it's just confusing. Dude, I actually trying have, to describe it kind of sucks. Yeah, actually, like, yeah. so there's a start line, there's a stop line, and then yeah. you'll hear a lot of people talk about the ring. Yep. And so the ring is imagine that there was a bar that went all the way laterally through the tunnel. Okay. Okay. So you're you're looking horizontally you're looking being at a tunnel. Yeah, a, a, a horizontal bar like a pull-up bar. That's what is it? Two meters up. Yes. So a pull-up bar that goes all the way across the tunnel. So when you're doing a layout move, you have to go under and and over that bar. Yep. Otherwise, you go through it and it's called busting. You'd yeah. be running into the bar essentially. Yeah. So I've th- done a few of the belly versions, the competitions yep. uh, for d- that kind of stuff, the dynamic belly mm-hmm. stuff. It's so much fun and. I understand those moves on belly and hearing you guys describe it vertically. It's like, what? Which way you're facing? What are you doing? (laughs) So back to it. uh, Dynamic is pretty circles and lines all over the place. Yeah, I mean, the easiest thing to do, (laughs) like if you really have questions about it, is look up some some tutorial videos and you'll be able to just see the difference in the flying. Like static flying... Uh, dynamic flying and then freestyle flying are probably the three that, that stand out as, a, as the most different. Yep. So static is really one of your favorite things because back to it, it involves a slot. And for years, I liked... Uh, <laughs> I liked... Uh, I, I liked... <laughs> I love that sound. I liked uh, free flying, the artistic version, which I would equate to a dynamic kind of flying, where today anything in a formation would be what dra- attracts or draws my mind, and I don't know what it is about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's what you said, Nick, the discipline. What is it about that static slot flying that draws your mind? Um, it, for me, it's the kind of like flying with my buddies and be able to actually build something. Um, kind of like even with the rigging thing, I like building things. So there's definitely something about when you can get everybody together and link it all up. Um, that just appeals to me of like that feeling of accomplishment. Like I like rock climbing because I could just run laps in a gym for a workout and great. I'm back where I started (laughs) rock climbing. When I get to the top of it, I've achieved something and I have a visual thing that says, great. I've gone from there. I got to here. I did something. So I, I love the artistic stuff that a lot of people are starting to do with all the angles in the sky and the dynamic and the freestyle in the tunnel. Um, I love it. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I'm not as good at it, so I don't like it as much. Uh, <laughs> funny how that works. Yeah, <laughs> funny. Do you, uh, but was it always that way? In other words, did you always not like it as much? Did you at some point like dynamic more and static was something that drew you because you didn't like it? No, I, I definitely like, well, Dynamic didn't exist when I started flying in tunnels in like 2006. Um, So I was learning to sit fly in Orlando in a big puffy suit because that's that's what we had. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, So that was just the thing that existed. That's how I met Nick going to a wind tunnel in in Utah. I was just trying to think of who our mutual friend was. Sarah. Yeah, Sarah well, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. I knew it was some little Asian. I just <laughs> God damn, what's the thing with you? Yeah, but yeah, so that was just kind of that's what you did in a tunnel. You you just did what you did in the sky. Um, so that's just kind of always stuck with me. Then I've liked, like I was saying about seeing all just the weird positions that people can fly, um, side flying where you're kind of curling around in weird ways. So just I've liked that aspect of learning how to fly positions that shouldn't fly stable and fly them stable and just having that uh, having that range. Then even it turns into things um, 
like being able to fly with just really large people to be able to fly at stable while still having range so that I can go up and down as a scrawny little guy that I am so that I can fly slow and fast as well. Just, I like just that ability to have range and just interesting human body flight. We'll go with, I don't know. You interesting in human body and you, those words go together so well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what's your goal with, if you had a dream, if you had a goal and I think you might, what's your goal with head up flying in the community that you affect, whether it be Spaceland, Texas, Houston, America, what's your goal? What would you like to see? I want more people flying head up because I find it fun. I want I want it to be more accessible. I want it to be made easier because uh, a lot of experienced jumpers will say that uh, learning to sit fly initially is easier, but mastering it is harder. Mm-hmm. Whereas head down, it's a lot easier to master once you've gotten it, but it's harder to get started. Um, I would love to open that up and make head up flying a more fun and less kind of a step to flying head down. I would like it to be appreciated more on what it is because even a lot of what some cool static stuff that people are doing and sequentials where they're flipping and moving things. Um, if the person, if some of the people can't fly head up well, it really hoses the ability for different formations to fly and to move safely. If people can't, get the air they need to fly because uh, they don't know how to fly their chest, limbs, you know, legs, arms in a space that's clear of other people as well as uh, just giving them the lift they need. Numbers aren't magic and numbers don't really mean anything, mm-hmm. uh, but we definitely can and have an average number that gives us an idea. For example, Nick, you uh, asked Henry Guyver to take the challenge of 500 belly jumps before he got vertical. I think he ended up doing like 200 belly jumps before he got vertical, and I definitely read that. That's a very respectful number. Um, there is, man, I can't, somebody came up to me and was like, yo, dude, I'm taking Nick's challenge. I'm going to do 500 fucking belly jumps before I ever go free fly. And I wish I could remember who it was just because I want to throw out a props to that guy. So uh, if you hear this, come and remind me who you are, dude. I'm so sorry. I forget who it was. It's one of our good buddies. It's, it's a jumper I know. I just couldn't think of which one it was. I have 20 Monopoly dollars to give them if they finish that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, I'll, if they finish that challenge, I'll buy them a fucking real skydive, man. I got no problems with that at yep. all. Uh, Rory and Nick both, if somebody started sit flying at a, a good time frame they've got a good number of belly jumps they've got a good number of back flying they're now sit flying there's no magic number everybody's different mm-hmm. but how many head up jumps do you think somebody should have minimum before they start considering working on the head down is, is there a magic number is there a thought process for you i can't think of a number necessarily um a skill set skill set is just like in aff up down forward backward turns safely that that's a good and it's have those skills and then be able to really use them be able to make sure that you can comfortably get to people as well as make separation from people before i ask you nick for that input one of the things i'll mention like aff skills mm-hmm. for backward up down blah 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 flips you should be able to do a flip in whatever orientation you're in mm-hmm. and maintain stability at the end of that flip because if you can't then if things don't go well, you won't be able to regain stability safe, necessarily safely. Mm-hmm. What kind of skill set would you suggest, Mr. P? Um, I think you should have the... I mean, before you start doing sit flying, 
you should have all of the fundamentals of, of group skydiving down first mm-hmm. so that we're not teaching you an orient, uh, a new orientation coupled with the, the skills of doing that with other people. So as soon as, you know, if someone could could go on a, you know, let's say they do a four, you know, four-way or an eight-way, and they can have a, a clean exit, good approach, they fly the fun- fundamentals of level slot dock, they have a good break-off, they track, and they pull on time, and they can do that relatively consistently, yeah, let's work on some sit flying. Let's get you on your back a little bit, get you the... I mean, back flying is a much more useful skill in the tunnel, where it's much more of a stepping stone in the skydiving world because no one's really doing backfly relative work in the sky. You know, it's not really a thing. Nah. And, um, uh, and then same thing, once someone can, uh, can do, you know, a similar skill set on their feet, um, well, I... I don't think you need to be able to be ready for for uh, upright big ways to necessarily start learning on your head. But when you you know how to um, you know you're getting more familiar with the fall rate and how uh, free fall changes and how your uh, spot on the airplane changes and how that affects where you enter the pattern and and then there are all these little things that maybe when you're just thinking about I want to learn how to sit fly, there are a lot of little things that you're not really putting into that. Mm-hmm. And once that all becomes um, uh, you know, normal to you and um, uh, you have uh, a reasonable expectation of what uh, a successful sit fly skydive is, is going to look like. As long as you're only teaching someone a new orientation and you're not teaching them the fundamentals of group skydiving, yeah, I don't think it's uh, I don't think you would need to be the world's best sit flyer before you move to head down, but I think you need to be a pretty reasonable belly flyer and overall skydiver before you start working on free flying in general. Metrics help people sometimes, and having a number sometimes will help people. And for me, I think it's an easy recommendation to say you should be able to go out on a three-way set fly and turn three points. Three-way is an important number because yeah. the moment you're not on a two-way, not everybody's coming to you. Like yeah. if you gotta be the <laughs> if you gotta be the base on every jump to have a good skydive. If you would say, "Oh, I'm the base. Oh, I'm the base. I'm the base." Yeah, you're also a shitty skydiver. So stop being the base and. You might learn something. Dude, if I go out on my head with just Nick Law and stay on my head the entire skydive, that's a big if, with just Nick Law, I'll look good because he'll be in my face the whole time. But if two of you sat still, I'd be go bye-bye. Um, three-way, it's for <laughs> sure a real number. And three points, man. If you can turn three points on a three-way in a sit, then you, you might be ready to work on your head. And I, I really think if you took that time and that discipline the and then you went to your head your learning progression on your head is going to be so much quicker so much sharper and you're going to have so much more fun and what Rory talks about feeling so much more accomplished i think would definitely be a huge help um excuse me if you build it they, they will come mm-hmm. so one of the things we talked so, about earlier is exits and i had a question so sit sit exits but on big ways on sit wrecker sit, uh, head mm-hmm. up uh, uh, stuff you guys are still diving on your head you're still flying head down for those correct that depends on how much of a boss you are <laughs> caveat there yeah, if you're Antonio Arias <laughs> yeah. then yeah you can approach on your feet because you're because you're the fucking yeah. man yeah that one so you uh, now let's say not to say I just it's still possible to do it on your feet you just have to be an exceptionally skilled yeah. upright flyer to do shit. that so that 24 way they did mm-hmm. in Dallas mm-hmm. it was do they govern that you have to be on your head or if somebody was just that much of a boss they approach the formation safely I think there was like two people who were told that they may approach on their feet because they were one of the first people who were uh, docking on it they were one of the first stingers so if they were there out of the plane the faster they can get docking then 
the faster that uh, the whole formation can build. I don't really remember uh, where those people were in it, though. I feel like Tex was one of them, and yeah. he was exiting on his belly, essentially, and then doing, doing a, a front flip, flip yeah. and yeah. then he was right there in his slot, because which is Tex. hilarious. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Man, ah, that boy, he entertains the shit out of me, man. Yeah. Um, so I, I not only need to be a good big way flyer, and not only need to be good at what I'm doing, I need to actually be able to fly on my head and dive down yep. to a formation. Yep. Um, at what point are you guys transitioning from your head to your feet? Uh, getting on level about 10 feet away from the formation, punch it down, and then approach on level into your slot. So all the way to level, you're going to be on your head. Yep. Uh, it's Head down is much more um, maneuverable. Sure. So uh, you're going to approach there. The fun part about that is, though, if you know you need to go to the right to get to your slot, you need to fly to your left. Because when you're on your head, you were inverted. So you need to remember which direction you actually need to go, and you need to be better about your visual reference points instead of, I want to go to the right. Yeah. It's man, it's so important on big ways, and really any formation is to know what the picture you're docking on, mm-hmm. being able to look at the guy or gal in front of you and recognize I need to dock on that place, that person. Mm-hmm. Now there's no longer a left or a right; it's mm-hmm. a location. Yep. Um, and having that sight picture, Nick, have you done many big way? Actually, not you've done... upright. I don't. I don't fuck with that shit. These guys are too good for me. <laughs> Head down. What's the biggest you've? This is sixty way. Sixty way, Rory. Uh, we were doing 40 ways up in Chicago. I was on the bench team for the head down record. This past one that just happened? Yep. Fuck yeah, dude. So that's my, my question for you comes to, you're talking about more big way stuff. Are you getting into the head down? Obviously, yes. Yeah. Um, I had gone with work and just everything. I didn't make it to as many of the training or tryout camps as I was hoping to. Uh, I haven't been jumping as much as I used to. Um, but I made it to the last one. Uh, one of the organizers said that I flew well, I should show up for the bench. So I showed up just, if nothing else, for shits and giggles. Um, the first day with the 40 ways was pretty cool with uh, Kai Kai organizing and um, definitely just some good fun skydives. Everybody was flying safe. Uh, it, was, it was fun. Man, some people don't want to show up for the bench or some people don't want to show up for these camps or these tryouts. And even if you don't think you're going to make the slot, just being there, making your name known, knowing that, letting people know that you're there to work, letting people know that you're dedicated no matter what you got to do, mm-hmm. that is some of the most important stuff to, to a big way. Uh, a good buddy of ours, Jimmy Wynn, dude, this little motherfucker, man, he went to, I think, every single Vertical yep. Elite uh, trial in America. He didn't go to all of them, but all the ones yeah. in America. Mm-hmm. And he never made it. Mm-hmm. And he made the bench. And he went and he showed up. He's like, fuck it, man. I'm going to fly the bench. I'm going to learn everything I can learn. And was it day two or three, he got called up off the bench yep. into the fucking uh, head, down, head down record attempt, man. Yep. And it was just so cool to see our buddy. I, I want to talk about having him on sometime. Little kitty cat Jimmy. I think he'd be <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun, that, man. Yeah, he'd be great. He's super dedicated. I love that guy. Dude, it's, it's hard work. It's that dedication. And it doesn't matter. Head up, head down, belly. It, it doesn't matter where you're going. Getting that dedication, showing up and just doing the fucking job, being Mr. Reliable, it's yep. such a huge deal. Man, head down, what's your next goal? How are you going to get to to the next step? So it's three more years until the next head down record. Exactly. Uh, sadly, they didn't get a record set this time. Well, no official record. They had, I believe, like 171 people linked. Um, so that is the largest 
amount of people in a linked formation that's ever happened. It just wasn't a record. Um, so what, what keeps that from being a record? Because somebody didn't take a grip and didn't form the picture that was presented okay. to the judges pre-jump. You got to call it, kind of like off the backboard. Yep. Right, yeah, I just, I, I knew <laughs> that. Babe Ruth it, you know, point it out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand the rule. I just didn't know what yeah. uh, what was out of place for him. Yep, no, I believe it was one so. jumper. As long as it wasn't you. D- yeah, <laughs> exactly. Docked in the wrong place. Uh, no, just off the formation, like three feet. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Man. From the, from the pictures that I saw, I think it was one person who was like, just not there. Did you say pictures that you thaw? I thought I thought I thought pretty tat. So three years from now is the next head head down record attempt. What's going on? What are your? How are you going to get? Are you going to be there? Um, yeah. Since I've spent a little bit of time here, um, any just kind of more training camps and everything that I can get doing uh, anywhere that I can try to fly with more people. Uh, you know, 20s and plus ways, uh, any state records that are going to come up, I'm going to try to chase more of that. Um, again, just the making your face known. Uh, there's been a few people, like I got invited to the Colorado state record, but I was going back home to Philadelphia already that weekend. So just try to do some more of those state records and build up like a lot of the other Texas jumpers who went up for the record. Just get your name known, get your skill set up by going to events uh, being known as a solid flyer, um, and just in general skydiving more. Uh, I need to skydive more. So, um, luckily, my friends are inviting me and telling me to come skydive more. So, great, I'll skydive more. You've definitely been out a little bit more recently than mm-hmm. uh, when you first started working at the tunnel. We lost you for a yep. little bit. Uh, I needed a little bit of time to clear my head after five years at Spaceland. I needed to not be there. It's uh, it's man. People don't get that. It's so hard. You're there all the time. Nick uh, spends probably more hours at the drop zone than most people do, mm-hmm. uh, including some of the staff. Just because you show up at what time in the morning? Not that I get there at seven, but seven. I spend I spend an hour exercising, and then I take twenty minutes to get my shit together. I'm not really at work until about about eight thirty. But still, being at the hangar, being around um, in the morning, uh, I'm like you. I like to be left alone in the morning for different reasons. Um, you work out, put your headphones on, and just jam to yourself. And no matter what, it seems if somebody shows up who doesn't know that you work out there, they almost always will bother you, and suddenly you're at work for a moment. Not not always. And yeah. I'm pretty good at, I mean, anyone who is even a little bit sensitive to normal human interaction, visual, social cues, it's like, hey, that guy walked right past me with his eyes down and his headphones on. He probably isn't super into having a conversation right now. And... <laughs> If it's after 8 o'clock and it's a customer, dude, I'm all into talking to anybody. Yeah. But if it's 7.15 and I'm... <laughs> Flipping down, a fucking tire. Yeah, if I'm sweaty <laughs> and exercising and doing something that is obviously not skydiving related, yeah, I'm not talking to you yet. I'm not on the clock. Give me, <laughs> give me some space. It, it's amazing. It's the most wonderful job I've ever had. It's the most wonderful lifestyle I've ever had. But yet it still is a job sometimes. And, and being able to get away and decompress. So mm-hmm. you're now back at the sport. Mm-hmm. You're you're gonna try your best to get on that world record attempt, and and so far anything you've told me you do you you have. Mm-hmm. I even getting the job at iFly was a challenge for you. Yes, um, because you have a purple back. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Is it purple and green? Uh, no, just green actually. Just green. Yeah, Shit. it's it's my favorite color. So you know, we went for that. I was kind of regretting not 
mentioning both colors, but you know, live and learn. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck you guys are talking about. <laughs> Next time you break your back, get multicolored hardware. Bingo. Yeah. Um, so back in 2011. Um, oh, uh, now I know where yeah, you're going. Yeah. Okay. Uh, swooping the pond on a Tuesday morning. Uh, skipped off the pond. Uh, had a nice full aerodynamic saw of my canopy. Landed tailbone first onto some wet sand, like basically it was like hitting concrete and uh, exploded my T9 vertebrae. So, yeah, that was fun. Uh, would not recommend one star on Yelp. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, did you stab to your toggles? Uh, no. I Well, as my foot dunked into the water, I stabbed about shoulder height, which popped me up about 13 feet. Uh, as I continued my descent, I was slowly applying toggles, but uh, due to a slower airspeed from... Uh, just digging hard. in the water. Right, exactly. Uh, plus, I had an additional 10 pounds of weight in a weight belt. So the increased weight with the slower airspeed, uh, my stall point, instead of being kind of two, three inches below my hips, was right about the top of my hip bones. And I got there at about four to six feet above the ground and just I hit at a bad angle. I've seen a lot of people hit just like that and even more violently, just the condition of the ground, the angle I hit, and everything just compounded and blew something up. So I was there for this, and first of all, it was it was a pretty decent crash. There's mm-hmm. definitely nothing that wasn't splashtacular about it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was fucking shocked. I was like, man, he's going to be sore. He's going to be hurt. He's going to be bummed. But when you ended up breaking your back out of it said and done, there's like, what? Mm-hmm. So it was it was definitely one of those weird ones. Um, you broke your back skydiving. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> man, it, it really was one of those... Uh, not as bad moments. And one of the things that stands out to me for that is you weren't known as radical. You weren't known as crazy. You weren't known as bad. You were a smart, conservative pilot. You still are to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't really do anything horribly stupid. You were a little bit low, and it wasn't really in the turn. It was in actually just applying a little input on the canopy. Mm-hmm. You dug in just barely. You popped up just a little bit, mm-hmm. and you still broke your back. Yep. So how, how many jumps did you have? Just, just so I'm putting this all in perspective. Over three to 4,000. Okay. And so many jumpers tell me all the time, so many jumpers tell us all the time, uh, I'm, I'm smarter, I'm better, I'm safer, I'm, I'm doing it the mm-hmm. right ways. You've experienced all this. You did it the right way, mm-hmm. and you still got hurt. Yeah, I had, what, at least, before I went to an elliptical, fully elliptical canopy, I had probably close to thousand to like 1200 skydives uh, i went to a crossfire two um and then ended up not getting on a velocity until i had a bunch of jumps and pretty much every canopy i got i had directed canopy coaching um with that canopy to just get to know its dynamics and review some video with somebody who knew what they were doing um ended up demoing a velocity 96 landed my buddy alex o'connor then threw his rig at me that had a velocity 90 in it so i could do a kind of back-to-back um comparison got right back on the plane jumped the 90 immediately fell in love with it and i was like the 96 was okay but i want this forever and uh bought a bunch of those and just put a couple hundred jumps between a uh, pair of those and then eventually got a velocity 84 and i had i think 155 jumps on it and that's the one i broke myself on 
So back to the idea, you approached it fairly safely, fairly wisely. Um, and, and man, it, it's definitely not somebody... There's people we watch where like, I'm just waiting. Nick's going to fucking crap in one day. We try to warn, we try to help him. And no matter what we say, Nick's just going to... And if you're listening, Nick is not that dude, man. <laughs> I mean... Sitting here with my wrist taped up. Yeah, sitting with his wrist taped up. <laughs> dropping his toggles on a swoop the other day. Hey, nice Ghost Rider, by the way, dude. Um, um, uh. Uh, what would you tell those people who think that they're impervious, who think that they're doing the right things and they're doing smart things? And some of them are, and some of them aren't. Uh, the kind of heartless thing is I'm going to watch you disappear from the sport. Like I've watched tons of other people over the past decade and a half that I've been doing this. Um, within like my first uh, winter or two at Cross Keys, there was the guy that everyone was saying, you shouldn't be jumping that, you shouldn't be jumping that. And all of a sudden he wasn't at the drop zone anymore because he landed off and broke himself. What was that guy's name on Facebook who landed crosswind and hit a fence? What are you doing, Billy? What the fuck are you doing, David? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good that video. Was so good. I could watch that a million times. <laughs> I actually saw somebody wearing a shirt that said that uh, uh-huh. a couple of months back, and I was like, "Will you try oh, and find that, Justin?" Yeah, oh, man, <laughs> immediately is... started trying to find it. <laughs> Such an epic video, man, and yeah. it doesn't matter who you think you are. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. Mm-hmm. One of the things when, when people tell me, I want to learn to swoop, I want to learn to fly a canopy fast, I tell them, first of all, if you want to learn to swoop, there's a good chance you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Jump out of a perfectly good airplane, take a perfectly good parachute, and now dive it at the ground and pull it out of the dive at the last possible second. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that can go wrong are astronomical. The things that can go wrong are just explosive. So if you want to learn to swoop, it's fucking dangerous, man. It really it is. It's not the smartest thing in the sport that we know how to do. I also like turning a canopy close to the ground. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say you shouldn't or you can't do it. I'm just going to warn you. But, man, find a good coach. Find somebody who's going to take you, take you on a good learning progression. Mm-hmm. I commonly hear people who learn to swoop well give people advice on how to swoop, and they forget what they did to get there. And that's been very interesting. Talking lately with with DQ and even with Zach Boyd, Zach has done well for himself, and he's giving advice, but he's forgotten what he did to get where he's at and being reminded like, oh, yeah, no, I got to do that. So don't just listen to your friends. Find people who can give you good advice. Um, I've mentioned the names before. I'll mention them a thousand times over. Uh, Greg Windmiller and Superior Canopy Flight, uh, uh, Superior, yeah, Canopy uh, Flight, Superior Flight. Awesome. At uh, the last PIA, I went and sat through one of his lectures, and awesome, Which really one? great information. Uh, just his uh, his one about canopy flight, and just there were a lot of things about uh, just inputs and recovery of the canopy and timing of when it's going to properly retain. And I learned a lot that I wanted to pass on to students, even in like the beginning stages of the STP AFF level jumps, to where they're going to get so much out of just those little nuggets man greg windmiller at pia we commonly see uh seminars where the first one is is got so many people in it and the second one has more because people go like you got to go check out what such and such did and i know the seminar you speak of with greg because mm-hmm. i was i believe in the second one of it i miss the first one because mm-hmm. ramen dude can't fucking miss ramen chattanooga got some dope ramen hmm. um <laughs> dude for real man oh god uh um uh, but the, the, he had a packed room the second showing. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. And Greg Wynn Miller, check out these different places. But fuck David. What's he doing over there, man? So if you're watching this on Facebook know, let's Live. Let's check it out. Let's see what Dave's doing. Bring that down. Just, yeah, just a little bit. Man. We got to turn it up for the comment at the end, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't got to hear the hurricane. 
So just while we're watching, someone's coming in, doing a big turn, four, 450 maybe. Here they go, swooping up the beer There's line. Beer line yeah. Guy looks like he knows what he's doing. Sounds like he's got a little ring a ding. What the oh. fuck are you doing, David? <laughs> <laughs> David proceeds to hit a fence. David just flew 90 degrees almost across the fucking swooper's face. Swooper's on the ground, landed, running out his landing. What Here comes David. What are you doing, David? <laughs> oh, he can hear the thud. What's that video called for anyone that's listening? Once it is up? literally called, What the fuck are you doing, David? Yep, can't can't make it any easier than that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I. I literally searched for what the fuck are you doing, David? And it came up first results. <laughs> it's so fucking worth it, man. You don't you don't want to be David. You don't want to be that guy. Um, God dang. Oh, so PIA is, is something we just mentioned. Greg Parachute Wimler. Industry Association. Yeah, the symposium. Uh, can you bring that audio back down Sorry. on the computers? <laughs> um, uh, PIA, the symposium this year is going to be in Dallas, Texas. Are we going to the symposium? Uh, I'm definitely going. Are you're, we going? You're going. I think that I'm going. I'm working. So I... Uh, so the symposium, man, I've got a lot of shit going on personally with work and business, um, different companies that I'm hanging out with or doing business with, uh, different meetings I need to go to. Uh, they have examiners meetings for four days during the goddamn. They everything's over scheduled over everything, but our goal is to actually take Gravity Lab Radio with us. I am looking at what I can do, um, so I do want to still do a couple shows there if we can. Um, I might be doing some Facebook live feeds for LMB. From PIA as well, so I've got a few things I got to figure out. You still good with Gravity Lab? Yeah, I think I think I'm planning on going for the podcast and for General. the experience of going. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. And uh, I think I'll have uh, SSK ask me to make him a video for their booth, Makes so it'd yeah. be cool to see that in person. And then uh, maybe some stuff with uh, Velocity also. Dude, it's a it's a good time. If you've never been to the symposium for PIA, it's a trade show. Is is I've I've struggled for that word before. Is the best description. Convention and, conference. Yeah, and you you can get it's like a hundred bucks a day, if you want to get the seminars in the expo hall. There's a discount if you buy uh, the whole pass. It's like three hundred or something like that, two fifty or whatever. Uh, but if you just want to check out the expo hall, it's something like six or nine bucks a day for the expo hall, yeah. and. Uh, if you're local or if you're just coming to town, I highly recommend the seminars. Like you mentioned, Greg Wimmler is a super good one. Yep. There's rigging, there's instructors, there's canopy flight, uh, Bill Booth telling fucking stories. Yeah. Um, really, Bill Booth seminars are just him telling some the stories, and he's full of history. So it's super cool and worth mm. the stories that he tells. Uh, but seeing the gear manufacturer, seeing the newest equipment coming out, seeing, seeing what's happening, it's well worth it. Yep. You've gone... The last two? The last two, yeah. Uh, Daytona and Chattanooga. Dude, Chattanooga was a cool little town. This year, I'm yeah. kind of upset that it's in Dallas. I can't I can't lie. It being in Dallas is super nice because I can drive and be there. Um, but but getting away we have from, to hate Dallas, right? Yeah, oh, dude, fuck, man. Fuck I'm from Philly. You know, E-A-L-G-L-S. Eagles. <laughs> I hate Dallas because it's <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> um, I really like Dallas. I'm not even on your guys' team. Uh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> I, I just I like the uh, I like the traveling aspect. PIA. If I have to go spend money in a hotel, if I got to travel, getting away from where I'm at has always been mm. nice. Mm-hmm. You want somewhere with prostitutes? Yeah. <laughs> and drugs. Dallas is fine with that. 
Um, do they have that? I'm so like I, I have no idea. No, like no. that shit's so out of my world. Banned like, in Dallas. Yeah. No prostitute. No drugs in Dallas. Oh, that's just shit. And it worked. <laughs> and the war on drugs worked in Dallas. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Just like the war on guns well, in Chicago. You ban them, and they don't have them anymore. I guess Isn't the, that the city that Debbie did though? Debbie does Dallas. She did do that. And well, she fucked she, him right she, out of business. Exactly. She <laughs> did him and they were done. <laughs> Wrap it up, After folks. that, it was fucking yeah. banned. Yep. Oh, man. Thanks, Debbie. That's my sister. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh. Wait a minute. Oh. And that's a wrap. <laughs> I grew up hearing those jokes about my sister's name, so it was definitely nothing new. What What part do you look forward to the most for PIA? Um, I get to see a lot of friends I don't get to see too often. Uh, my buddy Koppel. Usually comes up from Australia. Please introduce us. Please. We'll do. We'll do. Yeah. Love Koppel to death. Uh, his big bushy beard and his ridiculousness is fantastic. Uh, my buddy Dan from uh, the Netherlands, he comes in, and it's just kind of cool to talk to people who are doing the same stuff in their countries, and we can kind of mash heads and just you know bounce ideas off of each other, uh, and then just talk shit about people who don't take care of their gear. One of the funnest things I... I one of the times I enjoy the most of PIA is being the fly on the wall because you see some of the greatest minds in skydiving around. Mm -hmm. Um, one year in Daytona, I was standing in line to get a fucking coffee in the coffee shop, dude. That's I'm I'm just there because I need coffee this early in the morning and I'm standing behind Bill Booth and, and, uh, oh my God, uh, vice president of PD. Oh my God. You know who he is. LeBlanc? Yes, John LeBlanc. Thank you. Uh, John LeBlanc. So, you know, one of the greatest canopy minds ever did exist, designers, and one of the greatest container designers to ever exist. And listening to them discuss the pros and cons of pilot shoot sizes and types. Yeah. Uh, dude, just having a very candid, very casual conversation. Um, I, I don't know if they realized I was there. I don't know if they cared I was there. <laughs> I prob- they probably was they didn't care I was there. But just to listen to him speak candidly, yep. just like nothing was going on, it was it's super fun. Yep. Um, I highly recommend going in. I highly recommend checking it out. And Nick, I think you'll have fun. Are you gonna do the full pass and actually go to the seminars? Uh, I don't know. I'll probably take a look at, th- at what seminars are, are there and see how much I. Uh, you know I what? Mean, um, they see if there's anything you want to exhibit yourself. Yes. Um, talk about editing or talk about your experience. They, they did actually show uh, some of the stories that I had made in a, in a marketing class, I think, last year, or marketing conference last year. Yeah, they're always but taking people who want to do presentations, so that might be something that you should consider. I, I think I'd rather learn about marketing, because I, I think that what I do well is just, like, it's all kind of accidental, coincidental. I didn't, it's like... I'm doing it good on accident, I think. I don't know what I'm and doing. So, I'm just doing it. So I'd, ra- <laughs> I'd rather uh, just learn some of the you know, more methods behind. I, mean, I, I guess I don't like the thought of marketing. I like the thought of I made a cool thing that's connected to these businesses in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, feel like there's, I feel like I've got a lot more to learn than I do to teach. I think it'd be a better investment of my time. So part of me understands what Roy's saying because I've had friends tell me the same thing. There, there's a lot of marketing, but or there's also instructor things that you can do. And as a speaker, you're actually comped your admission and all the passes, whatever. And that's great, but I, I choose not to. I don't want to because I like being there to absorb and learn from everybody else. You and I are, are stuck is not the right word, but we're stuck in an environment. You know, we have such a huge environment around us with Spaceland being so big and, and so diverse, but we don't have a lot of external uh, influence because we don't have a lot of people we collaborate with with what we do. 
So PIA for me is definitely that that moment to be the student, that moment to sit back and learn and understand what everybody else is saying and doing. It's 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 the time for me to check what I'm doing and, and learn better. I'd encourage you to check it out. Um, I don't take tons away from all the marketing stuff, but it's not my background. But there's no doubt for the rating center and marketing what I've done and and for even the podcast, what what I've learned through some of the uh, things I've done. Melissa Nelson did a really good job yep. with Beyond Marketing last year. So I'm assuming that I could uh, go to the, the PIA website and find a list of all these seminars? Um, none of the seminars are listed currently. They mm-hmm. usually don't list till like a couple months ahead of time. Um, unfortunately, I think by that point, pre-registration is closed and pre-registration is well, $100 fucking, cheaper. That's fucking bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but, you uh, might save on a, a bunch of money about learning things that you're not interested in. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> and it it would be like I'd say check out last year's uh, seminar schedule, but over the no, last two or three I'm PIAs, sure, it's I'm sure it'd so be. Much. I mean, it's just a few hundred dollars, right? I yeah, mean, I think it'd be worth buying the whole package to just have the freedom to to go to anything that seemed interesting. I've I've gone to uh, and you do their rocket deceleration specialist. So PIA is half rocket scientist and half skydiver really? and half military. Yeah, no, straight up legit, dude. Wow. That's that's 150 percent. You can't have that percentage. Yeah, you said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Asian. The math yeah. works. Asian fucking up the math. Don't even try me, man. And I don't think that was every year, but I know the last two Daytonas. Uh, At least he got the two thirds velocity jersey percentage correct earlier. Sixty percent of the time it works. Every every time. Sixty percent. That of doesn't the make work. sense. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, Sex Panther. So there's all sorts of things to listen to. Made of bits of real panther, so you know it's good. <laughs> I wish I could. I'm gonna be honest, DJ. That smells like pure gasoline. <laughs> it what smells movie? like Bigfoot's dick. Desire smells like that to some people. Really. <laughs> I hate when I get lost on movies. <laughs> I always get lost on movies. This is worse than that time the raccoon got inside the copier. <laughs> Smells like a diaper <laughs> filled with Indian food. Come on, you don't know what this is? No. Oh my god, you seriously not know it? It's the pleats. <laughs> the pleats on the pants. They're very flattering in the crotchal right. region. Taking them back like right now. Taking them back to the pants store. <laughs> with that just like in a low volume the entire podcast. <laughs> somebody somebody asked me today about podcast hosting and, and uh, websites, etc. And asked why don't we do this on YouTube and one of it is, is YouTube will yank us so quick with some of the shit we play with copyrighted material. How quick? Um, I don't will it be know, hard or dry? <laughs> <laughs> Gross. God damn it, I'm trying to get there now. So, um, PIA. I'm trying to get there. I'm so close. Oh, <laughs> Keep talking about yeah, quicker. hard and dry jerking. <laughs> it's, this is the stuff you mean that'll get us pulled off. No, it's it's uh, it, we play oh, you copyright. just mean copyright, not like yeah, no, yeah. the stuff comes inappropriate. After they pull us off. Oh, no, you can, <laughs> as long as we're not trying to disassemble a weapon. Or sell child porn. I think those are the two things we can't well, do on YouTube you're Asian besides copyright and I hate material. You, so it's hate speech. Can you disassemble a child? <laughs> <laughs> oh Not if it's robotic. Okay, got it, got it. No disassemble Johnny number five. That was might a- be a weapon. <laughs> number five alive. I am keeping up with that one. So it's like older movies. I, I need old apparently. It, it was Anchorman that we were quoting. Earlier, I was trying to get his yeah. name. The wrong guy with the with the suit. Mr. Bergen, did you have a massive erection? Oh man. 
I've seen that movie it's probably like, three times. God, I've, I've seen it 50 if I've seen it once. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly say, I don't think I've been sober any one of the three times I've watched the movie, which is, I think, why I don't remember movies. Sobriety. I'm in a glass cage of emotion. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> yeah, there you Literally go. my job. <laughs> oh, my God, glass cage. So what attracts you to the glass cage of crack? Um, the bad man punted Baxter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You if you're a fan of Anchorman, there's stop. no way you're not loving this. Stop doing it. There's no way. I'm good. I'm here. Hey, God, Rory. I know you're here, and I know it's special. But let's just keep talking about Anchorman. You, you know the part uh, where they get in a or he prank calls her. And he was pretending to be the doctor, yeah. and he's like, "You're you're pregnant. You should you should move." <laughs> and she says to him, "She's like, this is pathetic." And he says, "You're pathetic," and hangs up, still thinking that he got away with it. I fucking laughed. I saw us in the theater. I laughed for five fucking minutes. I laughed so hard that right after that is the fight scene. Where they're all stumbling and they run into the other news yeah. channel. You may have killed someone with the yeah, trident. I didn't remember that part the second time I saw the movie because I was just laughing and ruining the movie for, for a theater full of people. Yeah, because after, I thought after he slammed the phone, I was like, "She fell for yeah, it. She totally fell for you're it." This, you're pathetic. <laughs> yeah, that's because that's what your doctor's gonna say right before he fucking hangs up on you. Jesus. Rory, what do you like about flying in, or working at iFly? Sorry. In a glass cage of emotion. <laughs> um, I like, much like with uh, Skydiving Instruction, um, so the, a lot of people who've come there, that's the most extreme thing they'll ever do in their life. And I like to be able to share that time with them. Like tandem skydives, I've done thousands of those. And I still enjoy and appreciate them because when that canopy opens and that person just goes, holy shit, you're like, oh, yeah, this is fucking cool. You get to share that moment with that person. You're the person who they're going to tell stories about for years about, oh, I did this cool ass thing. And that person was fun. And like, even if they don't remember your name, just you left your mark on that person. You changed their life. Um, all of us who skydive, we know how much it's changed your life. And you've seen the people who were just the tiny little wallflower, and you just watch them start to bloom and just grow. Um, iFly has even been really doing an initiative more toward uh, retaining flyers. Um, actually, as of today, they changed their price structure uh, to <clears throat> encourage people to come back and fly more. Um, to really build it as a sport instead of just a thing to do. Much like how Spaceland has been build a sport instead of a thing to do. It's a training center. It's not a joyride. And that's what I want. I want people to come fly. I want people to have a good time. I want people to have a community to grow with and do cool shit with and push outside of what they thought were their barriers, barriers of gravity, just... Do cool shit. Life is short. Um, I've almost died in a very realistic way on two base jumps in a row. Uh, I broke my spine. I didn't know if I would ever skydive again or anything after that. You were in a um, wicked car wreck. Yeah, yeah. I tried to pull those pictures up earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, you've only got the one life to live, and just not enough people are doing stuff to live it. And I love that I get to share people, share that with people, and show them things they knew um 
Actually, one of my current tunnel students who's now starting to do SDP, uh, he can sit fly in the tunnel, but he's like, <laughs> I, I want to do that now. And I took him on two tandems and just uh, I was talking to him after we flew the other day and how he's like, you know, this is cool. I've been kind of just spending my time with my family and I love my family, but like, it's cool that I've got this new thing. I've got my release. I've got my hobby. He works a lot and it's cool to just see him so excited about something and I, I feed off that excitement. I love it. Like you get, you know, a kid who's just flailing around the tunnel. All of a sudden they just quiet down. They're holding it. And you kind of peek around in front and you see them just smiling and drooling up their face. <laughs> it's like you just give them a thumbs up and they just smile bigger. And you're like, hey, look at your parents. And they turn to their parents and wave and parents lose their shit. And like that. I love that. Uh, we do an all abilities night where we take people with. So then, you know, we've got it to where, you know, nobody uh, saw nothing. <laughs> it's true. The camera was on Rory. Yeah. Um, for all abilities night, we take people who are wheelchair bound. We've had, you know, people with diabetes, uh, various mental, physical disabilities, and getting them to fly and uh, just watching them and their loved ones just light up. And just see a freedom that they haven't had, especially if they're something like wheelchair bound. Um, just being able to do something and that freedom is just, it's awesome to watch. It never gets old. I've and talked to a lot of iFly instructors about this very thing. Mm -hmm. And the first couple of people that said it to me, mm -hmm. I honestly thought that they were trying to look good by saying this. Mm -hmm. Like that they were trying to look good for whatever video I was shooting or yep. that they thought I had anything to do with the, the corporate world of iFly mm -hmm. or whatever. That I thought it was something that someone was saying for the, you know, almost like the brownie points of saying it. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like every tunnel that I've been to, an instructor, when I ask, hey, what's your favorite part about doing this? I don't think I've gone to a tunnel and asked that question and not, not heard someone say something really similar to what you're saying about how rewarding it is yep. to, to take someone who lives an otherwise very restricted lifestyle yep. and gets to, you know, they get to have that free moment in the tunnel. Yeah, definitely. Like your first few times of flying differently abled people is terrifying. Like just uh, between knowing proper placement because you when you're going through the training program it's cool you know hands here position yourself here but then if someone doesn't have a leg you can't <laughs> put your hand on it uh and just learning how to fly different people uh i had a guy a couple years back there who uh when we finished class his father-in-law was like so what about him with his one arm and i was like what and i looked over and he was just wearing a long jacket and I hadn't noticed it, but sure enough, the one arm of the jacket was just hanging empty. Up. So I was like, I think I know what to do. Um, and ended up in three minutes, he was able to go up and down and do turns all on his own, which people who are, you know, have control of all of their limbs have trouble doing in 10 minutes sometimes. And he was just able to pop off. And I love being able to present that and have people be able to succeed in something different like that. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's just kind of cool. Um, even like right when I got to Spaceland, we used to do the, um, uh, uh, different people with different disabilities and whatnot. And I'd never taken anybody with any missing limbs or any kind of, uh, disabilities of that sort. And it was a scary day when you've never had really any 
buddy like that, and then you have a day of that. Uh, and then you're going at it, knocking out like 10 jumps at a day. Um, my roommate, Brian Menard, I ended up taking his, uh, his uncle on a tandem. Uh, he's uh, paralyzed below the waist. And just that back of your head, knowing that uh, you know, their lower limbs are fragile and stuff, and on a tandem landing, it's really imperative to have um, a better landing and keep them away safe so that you can land them safely because they can't tell if they're injured, and that can become a huge complication. Um, and just landing them, bringing them in safe and sound, and then just kind of like, I didn't break my friend's uncle. Unclipped him. He got into his wheelchair, and I walked into the office. I'm like, "Cool, I'm done for the day." Like, I, that's <laughs> that's, that's the all the mental energy I had for the day. <laughs> I got him down safely. His life has changed. He had this sense of freedom that he hasn't had in forever, and I love that I get to present that. Man, as long as I've known you, it's been about living life. You, you it doesn't matter whether it's music, mm-hmm. whether it's your your body modifications. Mm-hmm. We won't go any further than that. <laughs> whether it's skydiving and tunnel flying, it's about living life. And, and the thing that I've noticed and hear you talk about today, it's even more about sharing life. Mm-hmm. How important is that part of, of your everyday existence? Um, I definitely want to make sure everybody has a good time. Um, people give me something last minute like, hey, can you have this done for you know this day? And I thought I was going to have some time off, but I want to make sure that my friends are going to go have a good time. I'll do that like uh, Brian needed new lines on his parachute because his own things were getting squirrely. He's going to be in Burning Man for a week. And I didn't want him to have a chop while he's at Burning Man to go skydive there. <laughs> so I just didn't sleep on Sunday night into Monday morning, put new lines on his canopy. I hooked it up and packed it so that he could walk out the door the second I had it finished to get to his airplane. Um, and I just was like, cool, I'm not sleeping tonight because I'm going to help my buddy out. Man, you've always stood out as somebody who's willing to help a friend. You've always stood out as somebody who wants to, to help others. Yep. If somebody wants to hook up with you and somebody wants to learn to fly in the tunnel, learn to fly mm-hmm. in the sky, how can they get a hold of you? Um, easy way is the Book of Faces Facebook, just Rory Corrigan. Um, otherwise, my email address through work would be rcorrigan, C-O-R-R-I-G-A-N, uh, at iflyworld.com. So that's a good, easy way to get a hold of me as well. Also, Rory J in effect? Yes, uh, or just Rory.Corrigan at Gmail. Uh, I just know that's yeah. one of your monikers, yeah. one of your handles. Exactly. Rory J in effect. What's the J what? stand for? Um, that would be James, my middle I name. thought you were going to say Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. James Jesus, yes. any last things you want to share with our friends, our family, our fans? Um, don't be a dick. Um, just <laughs> take care of each other. Um, help somebody out. They're having trouble packing. Great. Give them some helpful hints or find someone who can. Um, yeah, just life's too short to be a douchebag. Like help each other out and everybody will have a better time and we can do more cool shit together. Man, Roy, I can't thank you enough for, for your time here. We're actually going to have a dinner sometime soon. I have not forgotten Nick. Our schedules are just fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to a place that's all meat, Fogo de Chow's. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you'll still be invited. Hey, they have a great salad bar. I've been there like one time, and usually they charge way less than the insane amount of money they charge for piles of meat. So you can do just a salad bar. Yes, I have. Uh, if, if you call and ask ahead, then they'll generally help you out. 
Cool. So uh, I will ask them because we are planning a Gravity Lab uh, night with all our guests. Sweet. Man. Thank you for being here, Mr. P. Anything else you got? Mm, film festival. You're cool. I got what? a super cool surprise coming for you and Justin in the near future. What? I can't wait to share and show you what it is. But that's all I'm going to tell you. Is it jerseys from Option Studio? Dude, you got some new TRC jerseys. I, got, I saw the uh, proofs. I saw they, they actually will run a test print of a jersey before they actually run production to mm -hmm. make sure the colors work right. So, yes, your uh, TRC jerseys will be in uh, hopefully in the next few weeks. Oh, shit. I'm excited for those. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, got some, got some pretty cool things coming up and down the line. Uh, Mr. Grubbs, anything about your knee? Any updates? No, I'm doing full weight. Full range of motion squats now, so that's exciting. They so you, hurt a shitload, but... So soon, <laughs> maybe the next couple months, you're not in a rush, be back in the sky? I'm definitely not going to push it at all. When can you get back into the uh, twerking competitions? <laughs> he, knows, he knows how to move those hips. He don't need them knees. He's got it. They don't man. lie. Those hips don't lie. Man, Shakira, yeah. she ain't she ain't lying, man. So, uh, guys and gals, thank you for uh, checking us out. Thank you for tuning in. Grab that radio. Hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Check out uh, Roy Corgan at iFly. You can find him on Facebook. We'll link everything on here. Till then, till next week, Grab Lab Radio, Blue Skies. Uh, we're out. Did you just vote? Is that? Are you? Oh, you're doing that. Whoa.